When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Accept no imitations, FPL Black Box is back. I am joined for the new season once again by Mr. Mark Southerns. Have you missed us, everyone? How are you, Mark? Boom. I'm so excited. I'm finally getting there with the with the FPL fever, which has taken a while to set in, I've got to say. Obviously, the Euros doused it a bit and the England disappointment. But now it's starting to gear up. Now, while I've started preparing for this show, I started to really feel it. I'm ready now for mm. the new season. Look at your look at your backdrop now. I mean, you've, you've gone full, full, you know, UFO spaceship in the shed. You've got black speaker, no, uh, soundproofing things on your wall. You've got blue lights to represent our new theme. Yeah, new colours. Oh, yeah, new colours. Yeah, I mean, people people were quite, you know, split, you know, on, on should we keep the yellow? Should we switch to the blue? Arctic won the vote. Here we are. Well, it suits the temperatures that we've got on the moment now, doesn't it? It's absolutely swelling. I've had to leave my door open in the uh, in the shed and I've got some fans running. Um, I'm surprised you haven't got like a robot just blowing on you lightly like cold air like well, in that room. I've just got this old school thing. Going. That would be an upgrade, wouldn't it? Let me just turn this fan off. Um, Let me just put the robot on and get him there we go. That's better. I don't want that. Robot Hoover bringing you a drink. That'd be good as no, well. No, I've, I've got away from the robots. Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe one day we'll upgrade to a robot fan in me. That'd be nice. Yeah. We'll see where we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're back. And, um, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I know there's a lot of talk on Twitter about it being too early. There's talk of fatigue from last season and the US as well. And I, and I do feel a bit of that. I, I do think the game did launch too early. And I did tweet that, you know, come on. I'm going to leave it two or three weeks before I look at anything. But T, you didn't even play the Euros game. I know, I, and I, I know, I did it as a rest. I did it as a rest. But do, do you not think FPL went too early? I got some, I got some extra crushing disappointment in by doing terribly at the Euros game. <laughs> did you do bad? I, did, I was going to ask. How did, how did you uh, do? Not well. Not well. No, I want, I want a bit of money on fan team, but on the on the UEFA game, I finished like two hundred twenty thousand or something. Right. Uh, yeah, let's 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 definitely not talk about that. Um, did it launch too early? Yeah, probably. I think I think it probably did. I think I could have maybe done with a couple of weeks of mm. of rest. And you know, I think we're going to talk about prices and stuff. I guess in the show, I think they could maybe have used a bit more time on some of the prices as well. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I think when you go that early, you open yourself up to being exposed by mm. some transfers, right? And hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't, I mean, it hasn't really kicked in yet, the transfer market. There's been moves, but not, not been any, is there? Not really, really not major really stuff that affects ones. FPL managers. There's plenty of talk of that. And I think that obviously affects what we can do. Like, we are going to show drafts tonight, but I do get the point. It's too early. There's really zero commitment to what I'm going to show tonight. No, they're usual. not drafts, Mark. They're team reveals. No, they're drafts. They are 100%. No, Locked in teams. This team reveals thing, I don't buy into it at all. Drafts is fine because it suggests work in progress, which is exactly what mine is. But you're going no, for team called, reveal, are you? It's called clickbait. It's how we get the viewers <laughs> in. You've got to learn these things. Yeah, I know. I'm naive on it. But how many of the team you're going to show at the end of the show are you going to have at day one? Come on, seriously. Two, it, three... I mean, yeah, well, I don't know. Probably more than that. I think there's some like core players who who I'll probably keep it. I mean, there's lots of them. There's rumours of them moving. I mean, you know, not necessarily they're in my team, even though they are. But I want to listen to the end. Like mm. Grealish, Madison, both linked. You got Sancho coming in. What's going to happen with Fernandez? Um, yeah, there's there's lots of there's lots of you know if if Abraham moves to Villa, what happens to Watkins as he gets shifted out to the left? There's so much that can happen. But yeah. I still think the team reveals, team drafts, whatever you want to call them. It's still good for stimulating some kind of discussion. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the team you've put together so that we can argue well, you, you a bit saw, about I, I said last night, I'm not going to show a team because it's too early. And you, 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 I mean, saw, yeah. you saw what I had, I mean, you've got to show that. Yeah, yeah. And well, I'm, I'm not showing particular, that. I couldn't, I, you're not showing it? I'm showing something different. So there. Oh, that, that would have been yeah. a great discussion. That's a shame. No, you're, you'll still find some points, I think, in what I show. But really, it counts for nothing at the moment. What does count, though, and what is the focus of this show are the fixtures because they won't change, right? We 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 know what the fixtures are, and yep. we well, I think in this tonight's show, I wanted to just do a bit of a, an in-depth analysis of the fixtures, going a bit further than perhaps we've done in the past uh, in pre-season. We didn't have the opportunity last season. I mean, we had a couple of shows before it all kicked off, whereas this season we've got a few more. And so I wanted to start this one into a deep dive into the fixtures, and I've done some interesting analysis because. I, you know, I fell into the trap of going on Twitter and putting some data out there. And we all know that when you put data on Twitter, you know what happens, don't you? You know what happens, Corn? Well, you get it thrown back in your face later. You do. You do. And, <laughs> and, and people come back to you, what about this? And did you think mm. of this? And it's like, no, because it's a tweet and it's limited characters. And, you know, I've just put it out there to stimulate a bit of conversation, really, which is what I was doing. It was about Ben White and, and the fact that people were saying, well, is he better off at Brighton than he is at Arsenal in terms of an FBL asset? And I just while I was researching your show, just put some stats out there about how Arsenal fared in the last eight. And quite rightly, I got, it got picked up that Arsenal's fixtures were far more favourable than Brighton's mm. towards the end in the last eight. And they were. Fair enough, fair dues. And, you know, I wasn't putting my numbers out there as anything conclusive. I was just putting out there to stimulate the chat. You. No, yeah, right. But they raised a good point and they fell into the, the kind of the trap that I set in that the important thing is the fixtures over those eight games. Mm. And if anything, they underlined the importance of what we're going to do tonight. Um, and they pointed me towards doing something that I wasn't going to do, but I think is valuable, which is to look at the last eight games and the form of teams and players over those last eight, but also look at what the ticker predicted for those teams and players before those games are played. So we can look at to see, well, how effective is the ticker at predicting how players are going to fare? And we think, you know, we don't really know. No one really bothers to go back and do this, right? And one of the guys on Twitter raised this and he was absolutely right. We should look at the ticker more as a basis of review rather than projection. Um, so we're going to do that. And it is interesting, I can promise you now. Oh, so there you go. Oh, there you go. That's your clickbait. Nice. 
Yeah. And, and the other thing is, I think we're going to start the discussion by talking about lockdown and the home and away thing, right? Because mm. definitely it changed things, didn't it, for the home teams and away teams. And I've got some data on that we're going to talk through. Um, so let's bring that up first of all, because this is home form and away form last season. And it is quite stark, you know, just how much it was evened out because of the lack of fans in the stadiums. You can see there that the points per game total for away matches was 26.64 compared to 24.97 for home matches. And equally, clean sheets, 32% clean sheet rate compared to 31 at home. Um, so it's clear that the home advantage yep. was lost. So have you got any comments on that? Have you had any thoughts on it? I do. Well, the I, I did a bit of research on this. You know, it's a new season, new me. I'm going to help chip in with like some of this it. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the average of the season um, in the home games was 38% wins for right. home, home teams, mm. which is low, right? Yeah. You'd expect that Very to be low. a lot higher. It increased back to what we'd kind of expect more in the last two games of the season when home fans came in, went up to 55%. Wow. So it really yeah. did jump. That's funny that, because when I was doing some research into double figures, I noticed on the last game week, most of the double figure scores were at home and I was like thinking, hello, there's something here. I wonder if Az is, is digging into that. So that confirms it, right? Immediately fans returned home advantage. So yeah. here's a question for you. Do you think with fans likely to be more vociferous, more behind their team, more passionate, because obviously the novelty of getting back watching football again, do you think the home advantage will be even more stark? I mean... Logically, I I just wonder how much of an impact it could have. I mean, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a big increase on those last two games, but it's a small sample size. But I can't help but think that it might have a, a, a much a much bigger impact because I I always thought when when a new sign when a new signing plays for a team like mm. Werner, for example, started at Chelsea and didn't have you know him coming on the pitch, looking around, seeing all the fans cheering his name, holding banners up for him and stuff. I just think, for, especially for the new players, it just gives them that little bit of an extra lift. And for a team like Chelsea, having just won the Champions League, fans back, they're going to be going absolutely nuts. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that it, it had such a big impact in the last two weeks. I think it could continue. So, would I be basing my decisions around home fixtures? I, I don't know. I mean, Man City-Norwich in that second game, for example. but. Yeah. I mean, it, here's an on-the-fence answer for you. It could do. Yeah, and I think we need to see how things start. Obviously, it's, it's, it's pure speculation at the moment, but you wouldn't be surprised to see home advantage back and back in a bigger way than ever. Um, just looking at some Look of this... Everton, I mean, they can't... Yeah, terrible. They, 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 I mean, you talk about the average of, of last season home. They ain't the ones that bloody dragged the whole thing down. Well, look at, it, look at the data bad. here, right? Points per game at home, 1.16. Points per game away, 1.95. unbelievable. 16% clean sheet rate at home. And, and, and I know that because I had Dina for part of that and suffered from that. You know, we looked at the fixtures with Everton and thought, oh, Dina's a great bet for this home game. Time and time again, they let us down with silly goals. Whereas away from home, 47% clean sheet rate. That's ridiculous. Mm. That's like the it's, top. The top, well, along with City, Everton had the best clean sheet rate away from home. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, look at Burnley. I mean, we, we always look at Burnley as being this, like, impenetrable force at home. The worst point per game of all teams in the Premier League. 
That is nuts, right? And then look at them away from home. 42% clean sheets away from mm. home. Like, yeah. what, like, what is, is, you know, it was just a weird, weird season, wasn't it? And I think even if we don't see like a massive turn of like suddenly home teams performing much better, we're definitely surely going to see some like restoration to normality, I'd have thought. Yeah. And interesting, if you look at the promoted teams, I, I, I had a look at the championship and, it, and, and the difference wasn't as big, right? The, the home advantage was still there to some extent. And you can see it in the numbers here. Watford, 2.57 mm. points per game at home. Brentford, 2.04. Norwich, 2.09. Compared to 2.13 for Norwich, 1.75 for Brentford, 1.39 for Watford away from home. So the home advantage was there in the championship for those teams, just not in the Premier League. I, I can't answer that. Any ideas on that, why that would be? No. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I can't. It's, 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 it's bizarre. And, it, you know, if it was just like a couple of teams, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's just kind of, you know, but it's maybe it's because, you know, bigger teams are more used to having big fan, uh, more fans. So mm-hmm. found the, you know, the difference and the start difference to be more than, more than they were expecting, mm-hmm. um, which is probably why it didn't affect City so much. Yeah, or, or maybe you know, in the Premier League, more teams are competent as away teams, as counter-attacking teams. Right? Mm. They're set up for that purpose with pace and yeah. resolute defences, whereas in the Championship, it's not quite as strong, that element. Um, what leaps out for me there is Watford's home clean sheet rate, mm. 61%. Right? And we, you know, that's something immediately we've got to consider. And I know that folk are looking at um, Watford keeper as an option at 4-5 and... Yep. Maybe Watford defenders will come through. That's that's a number that really stands out though amongst the amongst the promoted teams. So interesting. We with no doubt the last season, in terms of home and away form, is something which looks like is going to change, right? And we've got to study this as the season goes on and, and I guess react to it. And if we see yeah, yeah. home advantage being a big factor, we need to go back and react to that. So in, want, just, just sorry, just one of it, and um, just yeah. I just thought about intimidation as well on the on the things like you know you, you're an away team going to a, a place like Old Trafford or Man City or Chelsea, and I guess the fans there create that cauldron, yeah, yeah. right? And it's, it's one of the reasons why I think Liverpool struggled so much, as you know they've always with under Klopp, he's always that one galvanising the crowd, and okay, they obviously had the injuries, but I do think it took them a while to adjust to that because they're more like training games at times with no. Yeah, fans. it was weird, wasn't it? Mm. it? It really, and and as you know, we was fed a lot of football. And it did take me a while to get used to it and to actually enjoy it. Um, mm. It was almost like a different brand of football that yeah. we had to get used to. And it got there. I mean, the quality wasn't as good, but we saw some good matches. We saw some crazy scorelines, of course. But it's all, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how it impacts the results and the performances, but also our impression of it as well. Whether, you know, whether our impression of watching matches and players are going to be changed by the fact there's suddenly fans yeah. there adding to the atmosphere. I don't know. It's, it's, it's all new again, which is, which is fascinating. Exciting, yeah, isn't it? it? Yeah, you're getting more excited now talking about it. Um, so this is the form table, last eight matches. Um, and as you see there, obviously we've got traditional table with points at the end. Liverpool top, 20 points in the last eight matches. Arsenal 19, Leeds 17, all the way down to the bottom to Fulham on two points. West Brom five, Palace six. But I've added an extra column, as you see. And the highlighted teams are the teams that were placed in the ticker top 10 before these last eight matches. So in other words, these were the teams that were predicted to have the best fixtures before they played these eight matches. And as you can see, the top three teams, 
Liverpool were predicted as the best on the ticker before those eight matches. Arsenal were third, Leeds were sixth. So the top three teams, performance-wise, over those last eight games, were predicted by the ticker to have good fixtures, right? And it continues, like, so six of the top nine mm. were all in the top ten. And the only teams who were given, who had good fixtures, Wolves, Sheffield United and Burnley, arguably are the poorest sides on show there. <laughs> so what do you make of that? Yeah, and when you look at the, the you know the top kind of ten, two of the anomaly, two of the anomalies there with difficult fixtures were Chelsea and United, um, were Chelsea and City. Sorry, so you can see why they you know outperform the the fixture. It's only Newcastle really there the the kind of the big surprise. But I think this stuff is important because the fi- the fixture degree is something that I think every pretty much every manager uses. Every sort of experienced player looks at and tries to work out you know who's got the best fixtures and all that, but. There's all this fixtures and forms debate. This is the first kind of thing I've seen, which actually like actually checking the, you know, the the credibility of it. And like you say, it's pretty it's pretty encouraging. I mean, Liverpool, you know, Liverpool being first with the best fixtures is good, right? I mean, obviously they're a top team, but it's still that's where you want them to be if you if you're back in this theory. Yeah, and going back to the Arsenal versus Brighton comparison. The guy who picked me up on that is totally right. They were ranked third on the ticker. And I should say, this is the Fantasy Football Scout ticker, the only ticker, of course, the one the one that I built all those years ago. Um, <laughs> basically, there are a lot of tickers, by the way, but Scout was first. Arsenal were third on the ticker and Brighton were 19th. So he was absolutely right to pull me up on that because the fixtures were massively apart in mm. terms of difficulty, according to the ticker. And therefore, that explains why Brighton's defence didn't perform as well as Arsenal's, but Brighton still did perform well. As we're about to see, let's look at the defensive form over those eight games. Um, and as you see, I've got the ticker rank at the end. And you see Chelsea were top, even though they were only ranked 10th on the ticker. Arsenal were ranked third on the ticker with the second best defence. And Brighton, who were ranked 19th, were the third best defence. So <laughs> if you look at the way the blue teams are split up here, it isn't so tightly close no. in terms of... The, it kind of suggests the ticker... Can't predict clean sheets and defensive points as well, would you say? That's what it looks like. It's much mm. more spread out. I'm excited to see the offensive one. Yeah, that's the one, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, shall I get to that now? But, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the question mark here is, so should we not be picking defenders based on their fixtures? Because that seems, that seems a bit of a crazy, like, assumption to make, right? But is a kind of a, a, a feeling that we could get from the end of last season. And also, do we think the beginning of the season is a fair comparison to the end of yeah. the season when there's different variables come through? So obviously there's mm. kind of questions that you can ask, but it is definitely something to, to consider. I mean, you know, I'm I'm looking at my team, the team I'm building, and I'm ignoring, I'm ignoring like Chelsea players, I'm ignoring City players, for example, but actually their defenders might be the ones to get if if the stuff on this table is, is right. Yeah, I would say looking at this, that good fixtures don't help bad teams do well. If you look at this, like you've got West, West Ham, Sheffield United were fourth and fifth on the ticker, but didn't perform brilliantly defensively. Burnley were eighth on the ticker, didn't perform brilliantly. They're in the bottom half. Tottenham were seventh on the ticker, also in the bottom half. Mm. Wolves were second on the ticker, were mid-table, Leeds sixth, mid-table. So I think what this is showing me is that if we're looking at players in teams that aren't, in the top six or elite, shall we say, we can't suggest that we can't go that, okay, just good fixtures will transform their defenders into point points machines. 
I don't think we can go with that. Yeah. Um, that's what this suggests anyway. I mean, this is you know, this is just eight matches. And it's a slice of the days when I could go back further. I didn't do it for the purpose of the show, but it's, this definitely does mm. create that so, conversation, doesn't it? So, yeah, so Relator sums it up quite nicely in the chat. He says, if we look at the table, it's just the defensive form is based more on team's defence rather than the fixture. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's how good the defence is as a unit rather than paying, you know, crazy amounts of attention to to fixtures. Absolutely. So that, so that is something that we could definitely add to, you know, a kind of a, a black box theory for the for the coming season is, you know, given a top a top defence on a bad run of fixtures, how how well have they done? Because I don't think we've done that much analysis into that in the past. We just assume that good fixtures are are gonna breed clean sheets. Yeah, and, and what I tend to do over the season is keep this ticker ranked column in the stats right so when we are looking at the last mm. four matches which we do we we last season i think we looked at last four tables didn't we i might extend that to last six this season i'm going to keep the ticker rank on there so that we can track this and go well, okay is the ticker becoming a better predictor of defensive points but at the moment this suggests that you can't you know recruit defenders on the basis of good fixtures and be certain of defensive returns um it is the quality of the defense but the next next table is a bit different. Um, this is obviously attacking form last season. That's more like it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of blue in the top half, right? So the highlighted teams, again, are those teams who were in the top 10 for the difficulty um, in the ticker before these matches were played. And then if you look at this, the top 12, nine, is it nine? Yeah. Nine of the top 12 were all in the top 10. Yep. Yeah. It's eight, sorry. Wolves and Sheffield United are the only teams in the top 10 eight. who didn't figure in the top half of this attacking table. And Wolves and Sheffield United, arguably, at the end of the season, were, were two of the poorest teams, right? But what it does show is that, you know, Liverpool, West Ham, United, Spurs, Burnley, Leeds, and Arsenal, because they had better fixtures, performed better than the rest for those fixtures. Yeah. I guess it's the, the kind of the. The tricky thing here, I guess, is the top teams had seemed to also have the best fixtures at the end of the season as well. Yeah. So like, you know, look at Chelsea, Liverpool, City, West Ham were incredible form, United, and then and then Newcastle who were up there but didn't so that doesn't support it. But uh yeah, I mean Spurs Spurs are one. But then but then you look at Burnley, Leeds and Arsenal, and you know, Leeds Leeds, for example, were more almost more defensive towards mm. the end of the season, but still mm. Still right up there on 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 this list, and then it's kind of the poorer teams down below. So I'll be I'll be really interested to see this list when sort of poorer teams have better fixtures to see if they can then you know because if they're ahead of the likes of like Chelsea and, and teams with worse fixtures, then I think that's when we really get a nice test. So yeah, it's really I mean at the moment this this table completely supports that fixtures breed goals or attempts on goal. Yeah, but yeah, I'd like I'd definitely like to see more data. We definitely got to keep our eye on this next. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't conclusive. This is just a lead, really, to go. Okay, well, actually, when it comes to attacking form, the ticker looks to be a better predictor than it than it is of defensive form. Yep. Um, But then again, you know, that could be down to the the nature of last season and the fact that fans weren't in the stadiums and stuff like that, and away wins. Um, I mean, City being third on this table for attacking output, so that this is sorted by minutes per xg. So they still registered 52.7 minutes per XG, which was the third best over the last eight games, despite giving a ticker rank of 16th going into those games. That shows that elite teams are almost fixture-proof, right? It mm. doesn't, well, 
rather than show, it suggests, right, that the likes of City, we can't look at their fixtures and write them off by any means, right? Yeah. So what we're saying is elite defences are really good and elite attacks are really good. Yeah, it's, it seems bleeding obvious, but <laughs> when you see it like this, and, and it kind of reinforces how important it is to use the ticker at this stage in the season because it is all we've got. We're looking at the last eight fixtures form, but how much stock do you put into how teams and players finish the season in terms of taking that form into the mm. new season? What well, do you City, feel about City, that? City as well were just like rotation central as well, weren't they, as well, towards the end of the season? So it's even more amazing that they, they featured so high. Yeah, I mean, I've never, to be honest, I've never done it before. I've never thought, you know, a team finished last season quite strongly and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet the players. But I, I did do the reverse. I remember Leicester, you know, finished the season particularly badly um, the year before last. And so I just ignored all their players. Mm. And then they had a complete turnaround at the start of last season. They were absolutely brilliant at the start. And now I'm thinking to myself, you know, the same thing's happened again. They had a poor end to the season, missed out on their Champions League for the second year in a row but they seem to be a team that has a good start to the league too. So that's almost irrespective of how they, how they finished towards the end. So Leicester kind of tell me that they're a team that don't really obey by that kind of form rule from the back of the last season. And someone asked in the chat earlier, do we think Euros maybe is, is a, is a, the Euros is a good predictor. So players that have played in the Euros had a good tournament there. Mm. Are they going to, you know, have a bit of extra something about them or is it, so dependent on the team and the training and the pre-season and all that. It's, yeah, I don't know. The one that, one that really, really interests me is Pepe. Because, you know, signing for 70 million, 75 plus million or something, and then having the, the rubbish season he had at the start. And then it was only right at the back end of last season. So, okay, the fixtures were great, but he was performing to a really, really high standard. And William is kind of almost out of the picture now. And he, he, he seems to be a, someone who's in no teams, could be a really exciting pun that could carry on from, from where he left off. Well, let's look at players because he is going to figure on this chart. So this next mm. table is form players over those last eight matches, uh, ranked by FBL points. And again, highlighted players are those who are ranked in the top 10, the ticker. I can't believe what the team was. Second. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And as you see, again, like there's, there's a clear correlation between ease of fixture according to the ticker and the eventual points that they got so much so I think it's 11 of the top 12 all were in the top 10 for the ticker the only player outside of the top 10 for the ticker was Ian Acho, who arguably mm. was in the form of well he was yeah. in the form of his career it's not arguable is it he was no he <laughs> hasn't had much else form to go on so no. yeah what's really interesting about that list as well is no Man City players so again, we talk about, you know, elite players get the most points and elite player defences and all that. But actually, elite team, you get in City, they've got all those amazing offensive stats, not a single player on the, in yeah. the top 10. Well, that was the rotation at play. I think yeah. in the next table, I think we see Torres, um, you know, appear for points, minutes per point. Um, but Pepe's there, 51 points he ended the season with. And what you said is interesting because I, I went with Pulisic last season, week one, on the back of his, the way he ended the season. So mm. I did try and go, right, okay, he, he was flying at the end of the season, looked to a world beater, I'm going to have him from game week one. So I did take that that bias, if you like, into my initial lineup, and I paid the price because he was injured and I I kind of bought Lampard on, on his team, you know, his team talk before in the press conference when he said he was in training and fit and then lo and behold, he didn't turn up, did he? And he had a miserable season. So I, I fell for it there. I, hmm. you know, I, I thought that 
his season before would be a springboard and it wasn't at all. So there is a there is a risk in doing that. I mean, is, like Pepe, do you see a risk there? Do you see that the whole slate is wiped clean? It's a new season, so therefore we can't use last season's form? Do I see a risk with Pepe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. <okay. laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I do. But I, I do... I, I saw something, you know, it's, it's some, of the, yeah. it's some, of those, some of these times, and I think the Pulisic comparison is a really good one because sometimes you just see something and it just look like it's clicking and it's not just about someone having a, a good game a couple of games. It's a, it's a player that's seeming to understand a system more and the players are giving him the ball more and he's more, he's making better decisions. It wasn't just like him just scoring 40-yard screamers like he occasionally did. He was just, his all-round play was just generally better. And I just do think that he he could be a much, much stronger option this season. And now he's at his lowest price of 7-5. Um, in in a bracket of, of players like Madison and Grealish and, mm. and players, but there isn't really, I don't think, a, a massive standout of someone that I need to get this guy. So I really like him as a as an option. I think the the one problem with Pepe, I think, is Smith Rowe, because for two million less, you could potentially be getting the number ten for Arsenal. Yeah, if they don't sign someone. So oh, I, I think really I think like it'd be hard to justify Pepe if Smith Rowe doesn't have any competition. Yeah, I think the other thing with Arsenal and it affects Smith Rowe as well is is there is likely rotation there in starting roles because, I mean, they're looking at Abraham, weren't they? I saw a rumour, mm. right? So they're looking at getting a central striker in, which means Aubameyang could end up, I said it right, could end up Very good. on the flank. And therefore it shuts down one of the flank positions and you've got, you know, you've got Saka and Pepe already there, right? So, no, it's it's difficult. I don't, I can't oh, predict difficult. that. Ding. Yeah, there you go. Bingo. <laughs> you can't, at the moment, you know, you can't have any certainty on the starting line. That's because transfers are still ongoing, right? So we've got to wait for this market to settle and it'll only be the final week where you can make yeah. that call, right? I think if everything was as it was now, I would I would go so far as to say that Pepe is a good option to, to consider in your team. Yeah. But signings for Arsenal in any of the attacking areas limit it because you're just running the risk that he's not going to he's not gonna start or subbed early or something like that. Anyone else from that? Season form table there, last eight games. I mean, Chris Wood ended the season brilliantly, didn't he? He did. Can't can't quite believe it, especially with, with, the, with the weirdness of Burnley's away and, and home form. I didn't realise it was that that stark a difference in the same way that it was for Everton. Um, I'm just I, I'm just going to say the same thing about Chris Wood that I say every year. I just he's not sexy enough for me. You know, I need this, I need a, I need a sexy striker. It's just it's just how it, you're going to sound like that, aren't you? Oh, I can see it now, but yeah, it's it's just yeah. I I don't know. I I, th- I think there are there are so many good kind of mid priced striker options in Watkins, Calvert Lewin, Tony's there. You've got Abraham if he moves. Um, you know, I I just I just think we can we we can do better than than Burnley offensively. You I'm always just, said I, it. You you said I've this always at the said start it. of the season last season when you were on the scout cast and I can't remember what it was brought up Chris Wood and you were like absolutely scathing oh. well absolutely I know it sums, up, sums up the season isn't it? I say that and then Bernie become like Barcelona and starts scoring like three goals every match they were um, I mean talk about end of form seasons Burnley were like a different team they mm. were so offensive yeah. like the attacking wise that, and that is something that I'm going to be really interested to see in, in the first few because if in, if in the first few weeks Burnley set up like they did at the end of last season I'll take it back about Wood and I'll say you know, he's, he's someone that we need to consider because I'll put him in a different bracket. He won't be the striker playing for a defensive first side. He'll be the striker playing for a suddenly really offensive and tacky yeah, he, team. he was getting, you know, high high number of chances, high XG. They were playing in much more enterprising game and Burnley are going to come up later in the show, a, a bit of a spoiler, but they are. When we start looking at the fixtures and what's, what comes out of the analysis, 
Burnley look all right, you know, a bit know. better than all right, even. Um, Joe Willock, right? If he gets a low move, we've got to look at him again. 44 points he ended on, 8.6 minutes per point. Only Bale did better, I think, yeah, over the last eight. Incredible run. I don't, I don't, again, you know, he, he, the Arsenal rotation, the options that Arteta's got, Willock is another player that if he stays at Arsenal mm. will be in the mix, but will they let him out on loan? He's, he feels too good for him to have, have had the run at the end of the season he had and then not get a chance somewhere, mm. at least. You know, and whether that is Arsenal and being part of the squad and, and playing more minutes or whether that is alone somewhere. I think it's, it's, it's got to be one of those two because he's, he's not just going to go back to Arsenal and, and not feature. And, you know, he, he's, show, he's shown too much potential. He's absolutely unbelievable. I do, again, though, this, this question of form, like how much of that is down to him really wanting to impress on that loan move? And how much of that gets you know, transported to his next loan. I mean, where, where, you know, where could he go? Would he go back to Arsenal? Would he, would he have that same hunger to impress like he did in the second half of the season? Would he be thinking, oh, I've been loaned out again. I really thought I did enough to mm. kind of show Arteta that, that I don't know, it's, it's hard. The, the psychology element is is interesting and it, and it probably differs from player to player. Uh, again, he's, he's one that I'd probably like to, like to see in the first few games and see how he does rather than jumping straight on him, even if he gets a move. Yeah, and, and Liverpool fullbacks, we always talk about them pre-season. And, and I think Trent is, you know, we, we, I said at the top of the show that nothing's definite yet. Trent in my team is absolutely definite, yeah. right? Um, Robertson, though, I've seen team, I'm starting, you know, we talk about the Twitter bubble, I'm starting to see a movement towards two Liverpool fullbacks again. Mm. Are you seeing that? I am indeed. And I had it for a, I had it in one of my drafts. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jota's really popular as well at, at 7-5. Mm. Uh, it's just you know that first game of Liverpool. I think it's it's, it's easy to look at, that and, and the fixtures Liverpool have got are pretty good. So I think you know a lot of people wanting to triple up on on that makes sense. So I guess it's Salah, the man. Like we talk about prices, Mane is just a non-option because you know you're you're, you're going to pick Fernandez over Mane. I'd imagine if you go for all three, you're gonna you're gonna really suffer the rest of your squad. So I think it's it's Trent and Salah, and then one of Robertson, yeah, or or Jota if you if yeah. you're going to do the triple. Um, I mean Robertson though it was was this this is the other, like I keep saying this is the other thing but I mean it is on this form question because we we said all of last season this is Trent playing at probably the bottom of his capacity and this is Robertson playing at the absolute top but Robertson has just carried on he was fantastic at the Euros again how many and the same with Shaw how many levels can they keep moving up maybe that isn't the max of Robertson's potential maybe we were wrong about that maybe Trent. You know, is is isn't is kind of more more kind of similar to to uh, Robertson than, than we thought. I, I don't. Know. I, I can make it. I could make a case for seven point five and going for Robertson over Trent, given what Robertson's been doing Ooh, over the last. No, I, I think there's a di- there is a difference between them. I think if we're talking about gears to go through, I think Trent has got a couple more gears than Robertson. I think Robertson is in fifth gear more often and more consistent, but Trent has got that ability to just pull a 20-pointer in a game, right? With a goal. But he hasn't it. done that for a long, long time. No, but... Like how form... much of that is kind of hopeful and how much of that is... Should we just well, be look, getting look at this. He's top, right? With Bale. Last eight games, 54 points. This is a fullback who who, who did suffer his worst spell in a Liverpool shirt last mm. season as well. I think mid-season, he was shocking. And I had him in my team at that point and I was desperately trying to fight his corner but couldn't. He was dreadful, right, for a long period. And then he just reacted, didn't he? I mean, it was around the time that there was talk of him missing out on the Euros, which he ended up doing yeah. oh, through injury. That's a shame. But he reacted yeah. in such a positive way. And he looked he looked that special player, right? And I think 
Robertson's a fantastic player, fantastic captain for Scotland. Um, um, and just, you know, so consistent. And he showed that for Scotland in the Euros, right? He was outstanding. But Alexander-Arnold, I think, in a, on a Premier League stage, has got like one or two extra gears that he might not find often, but when he does, you want to have him in your team, don't you? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing with Robertson is, is the corners. I mean, him taking the corner duty was, was massive. So, so you don't think Trent will be closer to Robertson? You think Trent's going to be clear this season? Of Robertson? Yeah, I, I think so. So if it's point five, that's going to, he's going to have to be clear of him by what twenty, thirty points. Yeah, probably? I that's think that's going to happen. I, th- I think that's going to happen. I think I think Trent's got a four or five goal season, and and I think we take it for granted he's going to get between ten and fifteen assists now, right? Um, and I I do think his his crossing ability is a level above Robertson. Mm. Robertson was getting forward more for pe- long periods last season than Trent, and he was looking more effective. I'll give you that. But I just think when it comes to you know big chances created, I think Trent's got more of those in him, and 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 he needs Mane to convert. Right, I think Trent suffered because Mane wasn't ticking along at all. Right, he had a dreadful season. I think when Mane and Salah are both firing, mm. it's happy days for both fullbacks. Right, there is a case for both. Right, if we're, again, that's a factor. If we see Liverpool, Mane and Salah starting well, you know, obviously you want to get both Mane and Salah, but if you can't afford that getting both fullbacks who are the yeah. main source of creativity is the next best thing, right? Well, I, I, I favour the defensive double up to start the season over Jota and Salah. Do you? Why? Do you not think Jota's going to get starts then? That's the, that's the interesting I, thing, isn't it? I, I feel exactly the same about Jota as I did last season. I don't know what Liverpool's strongest team is and there's a strong part of me that thinks Jota isn't in it. I still think Firmino mm. is, is, is the yeah. one and it was, it was interesting that Klopp did end up using all of them um, you know, when, you know, about halfway through the season or something, and it was quite effective. But one album's gone now, absolutely vital part of how Liverpool play. So there's there's going to be a change in, in Liverpool. I think, you know, there's, there's going to maybe a shift in system or something. I don't think he can, he can play all four of them, right, regularly. So I think it is either, Jot, well, it's either Jota replaces Firmino or they share minutes. The other and thing I think about, it's more likely they share minutes. Yeah, and, Couple of points here as well. Jared Bowen linked to Liverpool today. Apparently, Klopp likes him. I can't think of a more Jota-like player than Jared Bowen. No. He's very, very similar in mean, the role, the way he plays, his qualities. Very, very similar. The other thing is we, we haven't talked about when it comes to Trent and Robertson is Van Dijk. Mm. You know, him being back not only reinforces the Liverpool defence, also his ability to find either fullback from with long passes is what Liverpool missed. Right. I said this early season, they don't have Van Dyke. They've got no one to find Trent and Robertson when they go deep. Um, but when, when he is there, they can make those and they know the ball's coming because Van Dyke can deliver it. So that's but, another but, big factor. But does he come in and get straight back to the levels of Van Dyke before in, before the injury? Plus he's going to have a new partner, most likely at centre-back, yeah. who we're not too sure with, with Canute. Mm. So there are still some question marks around, is that partnership going to work? Is Van Dyke going to be you know, because we're going to talk in a bit about, you know, wildcards and stuff and mm. what we're planning for. But normally, you know, most of us end up playing a wildcard within the first six or seven weeks. Are Liverpool defence going to be that strong right at the start? Or is it going to take them a little a while to gel? And does Van Dijk become more of an option maybe as the season progresses? Yeah, I mean, the beauty of Robertson and Trent is you hold them through bad times and it comes to clean sheets to yeah. an extent because, you know, returns are there with attack, yeah. unlike other fullbacks. I mean, Luke Shaw, Dina... 
they could get there, but then I don't see either of them getting to Trent. No, they're eleven. They're eleven. They're eleven. No. Both of them are eleven. So above. when when yeah. you know if we go short and he doesn't get assists or clean sheets, we're looking to sell probably. He's at a good price, but we probably would look to sell, right? Whereas Trent and Robertson, you would probably hold them because in the you know if they don't get a clean sheet in the first four or five games, they're probably going to ship him with two or three assists anyway, right? So that'll be enough to keep them ticking over. Whereas when they're doubling up, when they're getting cleans and when they're getting assists, that adds that gives them free bonus when they get an assist. It really does all come together in a perfect storm, doesn't it? But I don't know. I think I think what I saw looking at the ticker relative to team form, it underlined the obvious, which is if a team that's strong has got good fixtures, go as big as you can. Yep. And when we look at the fixtures later, that that is effectively Liverpool. Right? So I think yep. it's, you know, free Liverpool will probably be the way I go in the end. Let's look at minutes per point um, form players. And again, look how many players in this table are highlighted in blue, as in were rated in the top 10 for the ticker. I think it's, um, there's 30 players shown here. 19, I think it is, are highlighted as uh, having good fixtures, right? So again, there's, a, there's, a, there's an obvious correlation, it appears. But this is just a small sample. Um, Rodrigo, right? Now, I've seen Rodrigo talked about pre-season. Um, do you think, as well as the Rafina price, that Rodrigo is a is a problem for people looking at Bamford? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. He, he because, ended the season really well, didn't he? Ended the season really well, and Bamford was getting subbed way more than he was at the start of the season. And part of it is kind of oh, how much of that is you know Leeds were safe and wanted to experiment and Rodrigo hadn't played a huge amount throughout the season and, and to try that but at the same time Rodrigo's really good <laughs> and, and, and played really well and I do wonder if Bamford is if that kind of theme is, is going to carry on which is why I think 8 million for Bamford is, is just not no. is not worth it yeah, and it's why when you had him in your team that I saw yesterday, that's why I really wanted you to show it because I, I couldn't love, believe yeah. you've gone with Bamford in a in yeah. A I've draft. taken him out. I love Patrick. Though. I want to pick. So do him. I. I think yeah. what the appeal he had to me before these last eight games or the last few games when Rodrigo came good was I thought he was, you know, he also was so loyal to him and he played on when he was injured as well. Patrick was struggling at part of the season. I remember the Fulham game. He he wasn't himself. He still got a goal. So I look at Bamford. I think he's a regular starter. Will play when injured. And he chipped in when he had a fantastic season. Eight million's worth it. But then when you factor in Rodrigo ended the season with 33 points and he's top for mins per point, so a point every six minutes, you know, that gave Bielsa something to think about. And Rodrigo's mm. not going to be happy playing that bit part role next season, is he? Well, I, I think I think Bamford will still keep, yeah. will still have Bielsa's faith because... You know, I think he, he had a bit of an injury, didn't he? His, you know, he he was he was able to experiment a bit more. I think Bamford starts as Leeds number one. Yeah, but I think now there's that element of Bielsa, which is like, okay, when things aren't going our way, Bamford doesn't get the ninety. Maybe I do switch things, mm. and maybe Bamford is one of the first players that comes off, and that's very different to how he was in the first half of of last season. So I do, and also, can Bamford go on again and have another fifteen, sixteen goal season? I'm the, I'm a little bit sceptical. I, I think he can. I think, you think to be fair, I think one of the, the main reason he was subbed off as often in the end and didn't start the final game was the hip injury. Was it the hip? Mm. I think it was hip that he had the problem. He had a, an injury he couldn't shake, right? Yeah. Clearly, and 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 it remains to be seen if he's going to start the season with that same problem and it's going to curse him a bit because you know he played on, he was fit enough to start games, but clearly as the game wore on, it restricted him. 
And that's why Rodrigo was given the platform to perform and he took his chance. So if Bamford is perfectly 100% fit and firing, maybe it will revert to Bielsa's favourite. And, you know, Bielsa's not one to rotate. So maybe there is still stock in Bamford, but with Hafina at 6-5, it's really... I and mean, Harrison at 6, it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, I, difficult thing yeah, I think Harrison. yeah well I, I think it's I think it's it's not I, I don't know why you wouldn't go for Harrison or Rafina yeah when you know I just think Bamford Bamford isn't this five five six million striker he's now in this kind of like quite expensive bracket where he mm. really does need to he needs to get sort of what, 160 170 points to justify that and there's just more of a threat around him and the fact that his teammates who I think could get close to that tally as well are significantly cheaper. Hmm. Okay, another name here. Further down this table, 9.6 minutes per point, Cavani. Now, we're all kind of talking about Bruno, who who, who doesn't show up on any of these tables because he had miserable end-of-season form, didn't take any form into the Euros and didn't show any form in the Euros because he, he didn't get many starts, surprisingly, for Portugal. Cavani is a viable option, right? If United don't sign a central striker, which you presume they will, but they may not, Cavani's there, isn't he? And I've seen I'm seeing him popping up now in terms of, well, I'm going to go without Bruno and I'm going to go someone like Grealish and I'll have Cavani up front. And obviously Sancho hasn't arrived yet. We'll talk a bit about him in a minute. But Cavani, what do you think to him? No, you're not doing it. No. Well, mm-hmm. Do you not do you not think that No way. Okay, so if they don't shine a striker, you didn't think he'd be a regular starter. I mean Rashford is not in the equation, is he, right? If he gets surgery, which we think he will. Well, no, but I mean, there's there's Martial there and there's Greenwood. Yeah. And I think Green, Greenwood's, one of the reasons they're signing Sancho, I think, is to give Greenwood more of a ch- more chances up front. Right. Because I think Martial is, is just, is lost, has lost the faith. But I mean, he, he can play there and he can play on the left. Cavani is going to feature. Cavani will get, I don't know, he might play half, half the, half the minutes possible, something mm. like that. But is that enough? Like, I'd rather have, I'd much rather have someone like Watkins or Antonio, or Calvert-Lewin, or someone who I know is like the, the main player in that team, rather than a, a bit part Man United striker. Yeah. It's, it's, for me, it's, it's no, no yeah, way. Yeah, you don't want that anxiety with the team sheets, do you? No. no, I totally get that. Um, I am tempted to go, yeah, I'm going to go there. Havertz, right? Further down the list. <laughs> Great player, um, always said it. You have, haven't you? You've always been yeah. his biggest fan. Um, Absolutely. Sunday, I genuinely have always Sunday. been his biggest yeah. fan. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get another sound bout. Oh. Out of you. Um, big scenes for him. Big scenes yeah. for him and Werner, right? The two German imports came with massive reputation. I fell for Werner early on, got rid of him after a few weeks after he let me down at the captaincy, got off quickly, and thankfully I did. Um, but Havertz came good, didn't he? Towards the end of the season, he looked like the player we thought yeah. Chelsea had bought. He showed class. I think he still has that tendency to drift in and out of games, mm. but this is a huge season for him. Thoughts on Havertz? Yeah, I mean, you look at the things against him last season. Young, new league, he had the COVID, new system, change of managers. Mm. Loads of things happened, you know, that can obviously disrupt someone. Uh, but then, you know, towards the end of the season, just started to, I think you're right, he did start to, like, he, he did drift out of games, but he also was much more integral in Chelsea winning games than, you know, with his link-up play. And, and you know, he was absolutely fantastic in the, in the final. My thing with Havertz, and I said it on... I've said it on a couple of different things now is I just I just don't see him as being that like 200 plus point player and I guess you don't really need that from him when he's 8 million no but he's 8.5 is he 8.5 8.5 is he 8.5 yeah. 
Yeah, he, I mean, his role in the team is going to be really interesting. Because if, if they don't sign a striker, so if they don't go out and get Haaland or someone, mm. Werner isn't going to be trusted to play up front. So it, it's going to be Havertz at, at false nine, I would have thought. Yeah. So if he plays there, then I think for 85, he's, he's a really strong option, a good way to, to tap into the Chelsea attack. Yeah. But they, I mean, they need a striker. They, they need one. I, I, I can't see why they wouldn't go out and just buy a striker. And if he plays in the kind of 10 or on the right or, or a bit behind... I don't think he's going to hit. He's, he'll hit a number to justify the price. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why they might not buy a striker. They're not the only ones looking for one, and the other team looking for yeah. a striker is City. And and Torres is here. Nine point three minutes per point. End of the season. Looked superb, didn't he? Almost to the point where he was going to get in the starting lineup for the Champions League final. Didn't quite work out for him, but he was fantastic last three or four games when Pep rotated. If City don't get a striker, we've got to look at Torres, haven't we? I think he's 7-5. Mm. Is he 7-5? I think that's the price. I'll have a quick check, but I think that's the case. What do you think about that? Because, I mean, you talk about, well, if Chelsea don't get a striker, I'm going to look at Havertz. If City don't get one, we've got to take notice of, of Torres, right? Yeah, Torres or, or Gundogan, I think, both both at 7-5, because one of them is likely to play in that in that role. Torres is He's 7 is million, great. in fact. 7 million, Torres. 7 million, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's just that security of starts with with... With Torres, it means it means I probably do prefer um, Gundogan because you know he's going to play. Mm. I, I want you know because I mean Sterling's been played there before. Gundogan could play up there. I mean uh, De Bruyne can play kind of at at false nine. So you know, it could be De Bruyne and then Mares and, and Sterling, for example. And then where does Torres come into that? So I still think even if they don't sign a striker, you're still going to have that worry each week, which is why I like Gundogan. But but for seven million, you could almost say it's worth the worth the risk. If De Bruyne's injured and, you know, for the start of the season and they haven't signed a striker and they've got Norwich in game week two. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'd be very tempted. But the thing is you can take a risk on a seven million pound player, right? You, you, it, it, it's not a heavy hitter. It's not, you're not getting out Bruno to get De Bruyne for that game. You'll, you'll be able to get a mid-priced midfielder out for Torres. So, Jesus is there as well, but yeah. how much of a batter is he? Is he, is he at the Olympics? I'm not seeing him in many teams. I'm not sure about his status for Olympics, but yeah, he's not he's not really tempting people, understandably, is he at all? So just to sum up, in terms of form, what percentage do you think the end of season form will influence your initial lineup? Ten <laughs> percent. Uh, because right, if we're looking at the Euros, we've got a we we haven't mentioned Sterling, right? He was you know in many eyes, player of the tournament for England. Yeah. Um, in the Select 11 as well, quite rightly. No one's, no, I haven't seen him in any teams, right? No. Is that because of the Pep thing? Is that because we're not sure on the status of how those two are working out? Yeah, I think that's that's the difference between looking at end of season Premier League. So someone like Pepe, who we think Arteta's starting to trust more and more and more, and mm. looking at Sterling, like just because Sterling's gone off and Southgate's put his arm around him and said, you're our key player, does that mean he's going to go back and Pep's going to be like, oh, I was wrong, you are amazing, let's, put you straight back in. I don't know, kind of, is, there's more. There's a bit more to it than that. So I, I do think Sterling is a really interesting one though because the premium, the premium is so set, like everyone's just gone for Salah or Fernandez. Kane's in, in a couple, having three is, is difficult. De Bruyne will probably come into the reckoning at some point. And then there's Salah, and then there's Sterling. Mm. So if Sterling does start the season really strongly, you know, maybe against, Nor- say gets a hat-trick against Norwich, I wonder how that's going to shift things and whether people have because I think there's now this thing around Sterling which is he can hurt me whereas Salah 
Fernandez, Kane, you know you're gonna they they don't hurt you, right? They just they just so consistent, they just get you points every week. But we know from Sterling now that he can go on on runs of form, which where he doesn't get the points. So I wonder how much that's gonna factor in for people. And if people are brave and look past that, they might get rewarded. He just didn't do it last season though. He ne- and I think one of the reasons why last season the template was so settled was because Sterling and De Bruyne weren't really factors, right? Aubameyang disappointed as well. So we had heavy hitters there who didn't turn up to the party, which meant that you could just settle on Kane, settle on Son, Bruno and Salah, right? Three of those, you're done, right? You're never going to get that dilemma of, oh, should I move Bruno to Sterling, Bruno to De Bruyne, really? It never... De Bruyne flirted a bit, but he never did quite enough, did he? So we had a poor, a poor season, I feel. Yeah. Sure. We need that, though, don't we? I mean, like, prices are one thing, but we need those players to be a factor, right? And, and yeah, they were never going to make Sterling less than 10 million. They've made him 11, right? It's expensive. But he's capable of justifying that price if he can become the player he was a couple of seasons ago, right? Yep. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, right. and, I, and I think if, if he hit... I mean, whether he will hit the ground running is 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 tricky because you know he's been off with England he's he's had you know we won't have had a pre-season we won't have played for a while does he start game week one mm. even if he was fully fit and ready to go I don't really know so it's it's that Norwich game there could be some there could be a chance there if, if Sterling's back and fit and ready to go and you know maybe City don't perform that well against Spurs he could come straight back in for that game then he could be quick but I think you'd have to be pretty brave yeah yeah very brave I mean I certainly mm. wouldn't want to go there yet I've got too many memories of Sterling letting me down, unfortunately. <laughs> right, awesome. let's move on to fixtures then. We've talked about form. We've talked about the effect of the ticker on form and we suggest that there is a strong correlation between certainly attacking returns and strong fixtures. Now, if you're looking at fixtures, there's an account you should be following. You may have heard of this guy, um, Ben Krellin. Who? Yeah, he, yeah, you should be following him. In he fact, dab- dabbles, right? Dabbles. He does dabble. And and one of the questions that when we were looking for our apprentices, one of the questions was, do you, do you know who Ben Krellin is? And if they were like, look blankly and went, is he a right back for Sunderland or something? <laughs> we're like, no, that's fine. You don't know your FBL. You're in, you're in. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> because if you if you play FBL, you should know who Ben is and you should follow out Ben Krellin, right? Um, he has done already. I mean, it's amazing. Like he, He's already got busy uh, on the basis of the early fixtures. He comes into his own on the double game weeks, right? But what he has done already with the graphic that we're showing is he's kind of predicting where they're going to fall, right? I mean, you've been looking at this in a bit more detail. Over to you, As. What have you got to say about this? I was going to say, I, I don't believe Krellin is a real person. I still think he's someone that you've built in your shed and, you know, you wheel him out when the season starts to do these double game week predictions. I mean, I spent quite a long time looking at this and, and firstly, it hurt my brain quite a lot. It's very colourful, which is nice. Um, but the key takeaways from it are chips and, and when the chips are going to be used. So game week, so game week thirty is looks like it's going to be very, very likely to be a blank game week, a mm. big blank game week, uh, and then a big double game week in thirty six. So to, thinking about chips again, it looks like chips are going to be once again used at you know towards the end of the season. Obviously, that can change with, with different things, but again, if maybe you're new to FP or anything, it's just another reason to maybe keep your chips until until the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's there's, there's, I mean, there's loads. I mean, look at the research that goes in this. I mean, the international breaks as well. So we've got those in there. So we've got that sandwich between game week three and game week four. And then again, between game week seven and game week eight. Uh, and then obviously the, the cup stuff starting. So yeah, to me, to me, it's mostly about, you know, looking at, at when my chips are most likely going to be used. And considering that my free hit normally gets used in a, in a blank game week, it's probably going to be used in game week 30 again. 
Yeah, and what's interesting, last season we had the wild card and one of the reasons why we kept the, well, why I kept the wild card till late, I played it in 16, because we knew that we were going to have the blank and then the double immediately, right? So I used it to kind of set up for the bench boost for the double. We haven't got that this season, so we're kind of back to the default of, well, the preference for the wild card, the first wild card, and we've got to use it before 20, is to play it early, right? And yep. that's where the international breaks obviously get discussed because the international breaks give you a bit more time. Um, prices move quite a lot. You can play the wild card and maybe earn a few quid on the team. Doesn't always happen. I mean, very rarely happens, but it's a nice idea. <laughs> um, so game week three and four, people will play the wild card then. And game week seven and eight, people will play the wild card then. And I've got some research later that shows what I favour there. 11 or 12 is an option too. So what you're looking around those times are are fixture swings, right? And what we mean by that is that's when teams that you've backed previously suddenly have a swing in the difficulty of their fixtures and other teams that you've not looked at with your initial lineup come into play with more favourable fixtures. And as I said, later on, we're going to show you oh, something. you've got a lovely chart. Yeah, you? absolutely. Got a lovely chart. Interesting that there is, there is some chip play for 17 and 18 because there could be a blank there, right? Or some, when we say a blank, some teams missing fixtures, right? Yep. And that's the, is it the uh, the Club World Cup which affects those games, yeah, that's basically? It. Yeah, um, it does. And I mean, well, African Cup of Nations as well, right? Is, is going to be, is going to be huge. Uh, 9th of January to 6th of February. Um, like Krillin, like Ben's, I keep calling him Krillin. <laughs> I feel a bit, Ben, hey, Mark, sorry. Right? Sorry, Ben. Uh, yeah, so... You know, again, I mean, this particularly the, the Cup of Nations for Liverpool is has massive implications because mm. they're going to lose Salah and Mane and Cater as well, and no one Aldum. So is Cater going to be more of a factor? There's also rumours they could lose Henderson like on you know to a transfer. I I refuse to believe they're going to lose their captain because of like a contract dispute. But you never you never know. Stranger things have happened. So what are Liverpool going to do? And you talk about players like Bowen coming in. That's why they're having to sign yeah, someone like that. It is. Because they, they need the coverage when, yeah. when this all kicks off. I mean, some of the other players going, I mean, either Coast are losing Zaha, Morocco are losing Ziyech, Aubameyang's going to go, Mares is going to go. Like that, that, you know, straight after the, um, the, we get our second wildcard, we're suddenly going to have to deal with some big players leaving. And so I think wildcards are going to pl- maybe played by quite a lot of people quite early on. Yeah, I mean, you could save it for 1920 and play it then with the African Cup of Nations in mind because obviously when players depart it gives opportunities for others so if Mares is going you've got to think Sterling starts every game while he's away and that kind of yeah. thing Jota as well will be a player that we talk about but then if you take Salah and Mane out what are Jota's prospects so yeah I mean it's, yeah. A, it's an interesting twist that we've got to consider and when we're looking at the whole season we're planning what we're going to do at the top level the African Cup of Nations is a new a new twist to it but I do think the early wild card is back on this season for me and others because we don't have that promise of the blank and the double that we had to factor mm. in last season. So, you know, I, I, I always enjoy playing the wild card early. What's your track record with that? I always claim that I'm going to leave it for as long as I can and then end up playing it really early because my team's a mess. Mm. I think I think probably around where we're looking to play it around seven and eight would be that would maybe actually be quite late for me to play. I think I'd normally really? play it sort of around... So you'd go with three and four, would you? Yeah, I think I think I played it... When did I play it last year? I played it during an international break last year. Um, I don't think it was as early as game week three or four. I think the international break's a bit earlier. 
this year. Mm. Um, probably around game week five. Yeah. I think I played it last year. there was year. one there, yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to hold it at seven and eight because I think like you're going to talk about with your with your planner, that seems to be some good fixtures. Because that's what you're looking for. International break is great to play a wild card anyway because you've got longer and injuries and, you know, price rise and all that stuff. If you can if you can swing that with fixture swings as well, it's ideal really. Yeah, I think last season I was too set on saving it for the bench boost. And it didn't work out at all. And, and I got rid of some good players as well. I mean, Martinez is the one. I got. I had Martinez in my team. Took a while to come around to him. I got him in. Did well for me. And as soon as the wildcard came along, in came Pope for the double. And then the double <laughs> didn't materialise. And then yeah. I never got Martinez back. And it absolutely crucified me. I think he was... Him and Kane and so that, Was that to do with... That was, was there some element of COVID to do with that, though? Like, yeah. there, that's the other thing as well. Was You know, last year we... Holding on to your wildcards and your chips kind of helped you because you were always trying to work out when COVID was going to hit and when mm. games were going to be postponed and more double game weeks. We had so many double game weeks last year. We're not going to get that again. No. We should, well, we, I mean, we might do. Who knows? If cases are rising. It could easily happen. But I'd like to think that we're not going to have such, mm. you know, crazy things going on. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think we might see a bit more normality restored. With, You'd with hope so. The chips. so. I think we can play the wild cards early, but, but it's always nice to play it not only to strengthen from a, you know, if you if you start badly, you want the wild card to revive your season, but also you should use the wild card for position of strength to seize on opportunities, and that is where the fixture swings come in. And mm. I missed that. Like one of my mistakes was not. I remember um, Josh from Always Cheating. He was on. Remember, he was on. We were on the FBL show, and he was he was coming on the show remotely, and he was playing his wild card going into the I think it's the Spurs West Ham game, and he was going. I'm doing really well, but I want to get Sane, uh, Son and Kane in. And he did. Oh, and we were like, oh, that's a bit... Oh, would no. I play the wild card just to get Son and Kane in? We were like poo-pooing it. Son and Kane ripped it up, didn't Absolutely it? Absolutely smashed ripped, it. In about 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, I'm going to eat that humble oh, pie. No. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I'm looking at this season is looking at the wild card and going, right, even if I'm doing well, if I see opportunities with players or fixture swings in particular, I want to go for that. I want to go for it. Unless it's in defence, like our yeah. table Well, says. maybe not for defenders, but certainly, <laughs> but certainly for attackers. Okay, so we talked about it. The Fantasy Football Scout ticker is, is kind of my go-to ticker. It always has been. Um, and it will be for you know this season as well, of course. There are others out there, and we're going to show a couple of other tools in a minute that are out there producing fixture stuff. So this is the first 19 game weeks that we're showing now. And the reason why that's relevant is because you've got your wild card going into game week 20. You mm. must play the wild card, the first wild card before game week 20, right? So you've got 19 game weeks to consider. And it's like, where does the wild card sit in this? And, you know, looking at this, obviously, over the first 19 game weeks, every team plays every other team. But the variance is the home and away, right? And right now, this is sorted by difficulty. Arsenal at the top, right? They have... Apparently, according to Scouts, Fisher Ticker, got the strongest first 19 fixtures. Liverpool are second, and that's what we talked about. It's like mm. Liverpool just stand out, aren't they? I mean, if you look where City are, they're right down there, sixth and bottom. You never write them off because they're a great team and they're going to overcome the fixtures, but Liverpool, it's, it's difficult to ignore them, isn't it? Yeah, and especially if you're putting more credence on on home form being, you know, getting more of a factor because that's like you say this is what this this is what it comes down to and actually a lot of this is interesting from more of a football perspective rather than a purely FPL perspective because you've got the wild cards we're probably going to be playing much earlier than 19 uh, and what the team that really interested me here is, is Palace like, right down the bottom because obviously mm. they've got Vieira coming in they've lost half their squad like he this says to me that he could not have a harder job 
Well, look at that start. Right up to game week eight. Chelsea, Brentford, Brentford, okay, right at home. Mm. You've got to look at that as a must win because Absolutely. what's to follow? West Ham away, Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home, Leicester at home, Arsenal away. I mean, you could be sacked after game yeah, week three. Like, I think, yeah, like the I, know. I know. And you, you, you don't want that, but I've, if I was Vieira, I'd be worried, right, about how to, because I think he's going to be quite. Yeah, you know, he's talked about getting players in who create chances so they can score goals. He's talking like he is going to be turning Palace into a more open attacking team, which is welcome because I want Eze and Zaha to be factors in our season. But we're not even going to look at them for the first eight games because look at that fixture list. Well, my, my, my impressions of him are that he's, he's a man manager rather than a kind of a tactician. And he's going to be working a lot with younger players. He's going to be doing that. But that very much relies on him being given time. To, to work mm. his magic and to get these players bought into the system he wants and, and things. He's going to need to hit the bloody ground running to be able to get, get time. You're, that Brentford game is, is like a cup final, game week two for Vieira. It's ridiculous. Absolutely, he absolutely has to win that. Mm. I'm, I'm convinced. Yeah, because Brighton at home for any other team might be an okay fixture. For Palace, it's a derby, right? Mm. Anyone can, they, anything can happen. And you've got a bet with them recently at Sellers Park, haven't you? So... I think that that's a, you know, a difficult game as well. It's it's grim for Palace fans, and 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 we're not considering their players at all. Leeds down there, I mean, mm. they have got that block of blue. And what I want to talk about is these blocks, right? Because what I wanted to do in the preseason is to look at this ticker, look at other tools out there. We're going to look at Tim Bayer's work in a minute. Tim, who's a friend of the show, contributes and graphics for episodes last season, has done a couple of things I want to look at. What we're looking for in this ticker is blocks of blue. Right? These are where teams in, have a run of favourable fixtures that, as FBL managers, we've got to look to capitalise on. And Leeds have got that, haven't they? From game week five through to game week 10, Newcastle, West Ham, Watford, Southampton, Wolves, Norwich. If you're not on Leeds to begin with, you need to be transitioning your team over to yeah. get some Leeds cover, right? Yeah, so who, who kind of are the options then for Leeds? I mean, you've got Melier in goal, had a bit of a price hike, but scored, yeah. scored well, scored like a five million goalkeeper last season. Mm. Uh, a lot of people are going for Eiling. Loads of love coming back for Eiling. Uh, I can comfortably say he was a nightmare when I had him, but the stats oh, were so always frustrating. Good, so frustrating. Do you remember that when we were like, oh yeah, we've definitely, we looked at some data, didn't we? We compared Eiling to Dallas after about seven or eight games. And we were like, this is, you know, we, Something's you've coming. got to admit when you're wrong, right? And we were so wrong. We were looking at yeah. the data going, yeah, Eiling is definitely the better player. I mean, at that point, Dallas hadn't, really shown up he, and the data did suggest Alien was getting forward more and providing more contribution to the attack but then Dallas just went crazy didn't he gangbusters and made us look yeah. very silly. I mean Eiling was a little bit unfortunate because he did get moved over to centre back for quite a lot when they had mm. quite a few defensive injuries and I think you know, I think he would have he would have scored more points if, he, if, he, if that hadn't happened but Dallas is something we haven't talked about yet what do you think about Dallas as a as a 5-5 five, five mid yeah, I think if Rafinha wasn't 6-5, he'd be in a lot more teams. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, what did he get? Eight goals? Crazy mm. contribution, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I love him as a player as well. I mean, when I had him, I had him briefly for the end of the season. I really enjoyed owning him because he's always prone to get forward and hovering on the edge of the box and he's got a shot on him. He's he's a he's just a good player. All-round game is exceptional. So you, I enjoy watching him because he's always likely to give you that potential for points like he makes he's one of those players who makes you think I can get something out of this game because he's always consistent with his performances rarely has a bad game and is always linking play and joining the attack yeah it's odd that he's not in more teams isn't it but I guess it's Harrison at 6 for Fina at 6-5 right 
Well, well Harrison's 0.5 more scored 11 points less than Dallas. So Dallas got 12 clean sheets. So that's what, 48 points. And so Harrison would have got 12. Mm. So that's 36. So you take away 36 off Dallas and Harrison outscores him by enough to warrant that extra 0.5. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and that and that relies on Dallas having another unbelievable season with, yeah. with those eight goals. Where he and, was and so plus a point I want to raise when you mention Melier, right? I think Melier is a really good option because one of the reasons why Melier is a really good option is Dallas is no longer a defender. Dallas mm. is not taking bonus points away from Melier on a clean sheet anymore. Great point, right? So when when Leeds keep a clean sheet last season, if Dallas did an attacking contribution, bang, three points, right? I don't know how many times that happened. When we look at goalkeepers, I will research that. That's not going to happen next season. So Melier's, you know, lost one of the key threats for bonus on a clean sheet there. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, th- I think Melier is a great option. I think he's a great option from game week five, though. And that's, you know, if you think we're probably going to be wildcarding, what, five, six or seven, it means if you get Melier in from the start, he's going to have United, Everton, Burnley, Liverpool in the first four. Um, and the other thing with with Leeds is... Um, is with Melier at five is is we've basically had confirmation now that Henderson's United number one mm. and he's five as well. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, there's still a part of me that prefers Melier though because he's going to make more saves. Yeah. And we saw at the end of last season that Leeds can defend really, really well. Yeah. So I'd actually expect Melier to do better than he did last year. What Leeds became at the end of the season was a team that still conceded shots from range, still gave their keeper save points, but didn't concede yeah. big chances that would be converted into goals. I think they did ride their luck a bit, but there was a suggestion towards the end that, well, there was no suggestion. Bielsa did change his tactics to yeah. make them more solid, right? So, I, I mean, I, I'm i always reserving judgment on Leeds. I probably will go with one Leeds player to start with, but I don't know what I'm going to get. Am I going to get the Leeds that started last season or am I going to get the Leeds that finished the season? Because they are different, mm. very different. And Rafine is interesting as well, because I mean, he only got 133 points. Mm. But he, he always felt he had that potential. Like, I'm still, he's one of those players, he's just a bit like Trent. You, always, you wouldn't be surprised if he came away with an 18, 19 points because he's that good, that but involved he never did it. in everything. But he just I never did it. He never did it. As I, had him, I had him, remember the captaincy I had on him when he had the Wolves, he had the double game week and the first game was yeah. at Wolves and he said, was it six big chances created or no, something no. ridiculous? And he got free bonus. For but a, surely it's, surely it's coming. I know, <laughs> I like kept Brian, saying Brian are going to win the league and oh, Rafinha's going to be just, top point scorer. He was so infuriating because he's a lovely player and he does so much in a match to get hauls, but never, I think he got one mm. double figure haul, which was ridiculous. So, I mean, I probably will go for him, but... I was going to say, out of those three then, Dallas, uh, Rafinha and Harrison, yeah. would you, would yeah, you, pay, I mean, you pay, got, would you pay the extra for Rafinha? Yeah, I probably would. I probably would because he just looks, he just seems more like, it's the set pieces as well with Rafina. Like he, he was, you know, Phillips, Phillips will take some of them back off him. There was a spell when Phillips was out and Rafina really did just indulge himself in every set play. And when Phillips came back, it got split a bit more. So I want to, I want to study that and see how much of the set pieces Rafina was getting. But his dead ball delivery from free kicks around the box was really good. I mean, the Wolves game, case in point, the Cooper missed two sitters, didn't he? Um, yeah, I I like Rafina. He's he's one of my players. If you say, you know, when you you know when you you claim ownership of a player, goes, oh, it's like Kane. You know, I see him as one of my players that I'll gravitate towards over mm. others. He, he's one of them. The and the last player to mention is Furpo. So he's coming at five. Mm. He's a bit more expensive than like Eiling, but for all accounts, Barcelona have just had to have this fire sale because they're just yeah. so in debt yeah. and they've lost everything. Like he's not a player they would have wanted to lose. Really attacking. I think he's worth the extra on Eiling. I still don't think Eiling is ever going to be 
you know, going to going to be an amazing fantasy option. I think he's, he's going to be decent value for four point five. But I think if you really believe in Leeds and really want to tap into that defence, I think I think paying the extra point five for Furpo yeah. over Eiling is is worth it. I mean, I want to see him and I want to see him a sell. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah, one I, thing I that makes him, me but... optimistic about him is I rate Bielsa and the team behind Bielsa in yeah. terms of judging players. Because I look at Rafina and I look at Lorente as well. We haven't talked about Lorente at four or five. And towards the end of the season, Lorente looked player. I mean, so I think their acquisition team are sound at Leeds. They don't sign Duff's players, right? So I think they've got another gem here, probably, in all likelihood. Yeah. But I want to see it for myself first. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's one ticker. As I said, Tim Bayer, who um, puts out graphics on Twitter, um, there's his address there, at Tim Bayer 93 He's done a couple of graphics looking at clusters of fixtures that were favourable. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and it's rated by the most recent games are given more weight in. So bright in the top. This is basically defensive returns, potential for defensive returns. So this is teams up against teams that created less than one XG per match, right? Brighton at the top, Liverpool second, Leicester third, you know, you can discuss the ratings, but what's important here is that it's another source of information that we can consider. Mm. And it's, it's one that I took in and it's an interesting way of presenting the data as well, giving more recent fixtures, more stronger weighting, because obviously we don't know really what form these teams are going to have. And that's what we should say about a ticker. When we're separating fixtures and form, they do overlap because a ticker is influenced by the ratings you give to teams and that is based on form, right? So yeah. they, they, they speak to each other and they are intrinsically linked. And the same goes here. Tim has rated the early games, given them more weighting because he's not, you know, he can't be absolutely convinced on the form of each of these teams going in. So, you know, what's interesting here for me is just those clusters and identifying things like I talked about there with Leeds is that cluster from game week six to 10, right? You look at that and you can see it. You can see there's a cluster of favourable fixtures defensively. One team that stands out for me here is Chelsea. Look at that spell between mm. 8 and 11. That clearly is a period where you would target Chelsea for clean sheets. So that's what got me thinking. He did the same for attacking returns. Liverpool top of that. You know, again, it underlines why I think we should go as big as we can on Liverpool. And again, you can look at the clusters and that Chelsea cluster is there again between 8 and 11. Clearly, they're a team to invest in at that time. So the scout ticker and tickers elsewhere and Tim's work and Legomane as well. I should mention Legomane, who's a brilliant account to follow um, if you're looking to analyse fixtures. He did this fantastic hop-on, hop-off graphic, which I can't show because it wouldn't fit in the panels that we've got. It was quite highly detailed. But what, it, what he was showing is similar to Tim. He was kind of showing where teams have good fixtures and bad fixtures and when you should invest and get off their their mm. players, right? And it kind of in, inspired me a bit to do go. my own chart, right? So what I've done is I've put together something a bit inspired by Legomani's graphic, um, a bit more simplistic, which is based on what I saw in all the tickers that are out there. Um, and what I'm showing here is kind of like bars of green are obviously favourable runs and the sh- strength of that run is based on the how dark the green is, right? And then you've got red runs or pink runs here that are runs where we should avoid that team or sell the players of those teams. And what this enabled me to do is to spot the spells and the swings, right? And we talk about fixture swings a lot when it comes to the wildcard. We've mentioned it already. 
And what immediately jumps out to me here is there's a spell in the middle between 7 and 10, 7 and 11, where there's quite a lot of red bars here, as in teams that have difficult runs. So United have a difficult run, Everton have a difficult run, Watford have a difficult run. Those are teams that are all in initial lineups, so they're all contributing players to our initial lineups. But also in that bracket, in between 7 and 10, there's some dark green. City have good fixtures. Chelsea have probably the best spell of any team in the first 19 game weeks, between game weeks 7 and 11. They have an amazing run. not be a darker green. Yeah. Leeds have a good run between 5 and and 10. And Spurs, Norwich, Southampton, these are all teams that come into the equation. So I look at this, and what this has enabled me to do is to go 7 and 8, which is what I've highlighted, and you've got the break between 7 and 8, is where, at the moment... I'm looking to play the wild card because of those swings. Any comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great day. And this kind of visualisation really helps. And I think it really helps with, with teams like Brighton, for example, you know someone like Sanchez or Lamptey or Dunk, whoever you get, is going to be pretty much good right up until game week 17, yeah. which is yeah. nice. Same with Liverpool as well. So the triple up, you're going to be happy with that. What I do find interesting is someone like Villa. So Villa have similar to Chelsea, an unbelievably good first three games. Um, so they've got, uh, they've got Watford, Newcastle, Brentford, two of those at home. Oh, that's incredible, right? So I'm interested to know whether you think, because they then shift quite dramatically on game week four, does that mean we should be a bit wary about them? Or does it mean we should be targeting and then looking to like get rid of one? Um, and maybe it's defence. Maybe, maybe looking at the other stuff we looked at, maybe it is the Villa defence that we should get because if they start strongly we expect that defence to maybe carry on even through the, the tougher part yeah possibly I think if you go for a, if you go for Watkins or Grealish right one attacker and you get a defender the thing is a defender you've got the bench right if you play 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 uh, you can put your Villa defender on the bench for those three or four game weeks where they have tough fixtures and bring him back in what about Martinez because Martin yeah, is going to be like seeing... highest owned. He's going to be like highest owned goalkeeper. Yeah, it's not, intriguing. Not, not someone I've considered at five no. five. But actually, the Villa's start up till seven. He, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was the highest scoring goalkeeper. But by how is it enough to justify him being a million? Yeah, Robert but Sanchez, I mean, I, I would counter that by going like one of Martinez's appeals is bonus points and saves. Those first three fixtures are so strong. Is he going to get any saves to mm. make? That's what I would say. So. That's true. I think he's more likely to make saves over the difficult run and, and into the lesser run, which is showing up as game weeks 8 and 13. That seems a dangerous way to completely judge a goalkeeper, though. Surely it, better it fixtures is. are still going to be more points for a goalkeeper. It than... is, but you can get target for 5 million, right? And concert for 5 million. And I think I'm probably more likely to go there uh, and go for, you know, one of the things you said about Brighton is, you know, look at that. They've got two long bars of reasonably good fixtures. And Sanchez is obviously the most popular keeper right now on Twitter. Um, and I would say Melier, um and and the Backman, the Watford option would be, is it Backman? I think that's how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah. Um, would be better options than, than Martinez for me. If I was going to go a Villa cover in defence, I probably would go one of their defenders. I'm not ruling that mm. out. You know, I like constant target. Because the interesting thing here, for example, is like Villa and, and West Ham. So West Ham have, you know, a, looking at each other, slightly less mm. green uh, first three and then yeah. something less good and then but then another screen so like Sufar for example five million looks a great pit good fixtures but they've got Europe but you know he's good attacking or do you go for target at the same price really attack those first three 
and then look to move him on, maybe for Sufal or bench him or whatever. Because I've got Sufal at the moment, but when I saw this, I actually thought maybe Target is is better um, initially. Yeah, I think I'd probably go Villa defender for the first three, move into a Leeds defender from that point on. If you look at that, Leeds mm. have that strong run from game week five onwards. And if I don't start with Aileen or Levente, then they'll be coming in for probably a Villa defender Because if I do go with Villa. So I think, again, this enables you to kind of plan transfers. And there's always a risk. I mean, it's again, it's ridiculous because we're weeks away from the crunch <laughs> period where we pick our teams. But it is useful to plan like this and look at a top-level situation and go, right, okay, regardless of who I've got in my team, these are the, these are the teams I'm going to target. Let's talk about the players. These are the teams I'm going to target. And as I said at the top of the show, this ain't going to change, right? We're not suddenly going to reassess all these fixtures and go, well, actually, Villa's first three are really difficult because we're not going to see enough of pre-season to make us reassess those three fixtures, right? We're going to go into the season thinking Villa have got an easy start where they should exploit that with goals and clean sheets. Yeah. And so we're going to... So you can plan in this way, right? This is the... I, I think this is the most valuable planning to do yeah. at this point. And I think you, you know, I look at this and go, I've got to get on Chelsea between 7 and 11. I've got to. And I've got to... If I don't play my wild card, how am I going to do that big? I could start with Chelsea players, right? I could do. The only trouble there is you are... You're, you're getting on quite expensive players for fixtures that aren't that great mm. to open the season with, and you could do better elsewhere, perhaps. I mean, what do you what do you think about starting with Chelsea? Well, the the, the answer there for me, I think, I think is probably in defence, right? Because that backs mm. up the earlier stuff of the, of the fixtures, the yeah. fixture ticker maybe not being in it, and it's good defences, and maybe that's where going for target over Sufa. I think West Ham are a better defensive side than than Villa are. Do you? I do. Yeah, I think oh. they. I think I think Europe Europe will, will play a play a factor, but. I don't know. I still, I still don't. I see, I see Villa as having a bit of a dodgy backline with a great goalkeeper, right. whereas I see West Ham being a quite a solid team under under Moyes. So, I think with that in mind, maybe it isn't worth kind of going for the fiction. And but th- that's the thing with that that thing earlier. Right? Maybe the, the trick is just get in defenders that you like the look of and not worry too much about the fixtures, but then yeah. target the fixtures with the attack. So that's yeah. where these two, these two things yeah, and I think, uh, link up really well. I think that's vital for me. It's not, it's not really the defence. I mean, I'm quite happy to start with Reese James, right? I, I may well do. I mean, if, let's talk of Luke Shaw being injured, I think, isn't there? It's, he's yeah. got a rib injury, right? So if he's a doubt, I, I might well five, go five. Dina or, or even Reese James to start the season. Or, or Ch- I mean, or Chilwell at six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chilwell at six, he's got that Palace game in the first game, then he's got Arsenal away. I wouldn't be too worried about playing no. away at Arsenal. And, and Tuchel's team can keep clean sheets against anybody. And, and, and I think what we've seen is, don't use the ticker to count out the elite teams. And we've got to put Chelsea in that bracket. They're Champions yeah. League winners, right? There's, there's, only, there's only two fixtures of, of Chelsea in the first six I wouldn't want to play them in. Yeah. And that's the only two fixtures I really wouldn't want to play someone in. That's City and Liverpool. I yeah. mean, Spurs, Villa, Arsenal, Palace... I'm, I'm, I'd be but happy still, to you aren't going to have three Chelsea players come game week seven, are you? Come game week eight. Not unless you're wildcard. No, not unless you're wildcard, right? So, Are there even three? Are there even three that you could get? I mean, I'd argue Mount would, would be the pick of the midfield. Well, I think... Ha- Havert, I think Havertz, Mount Havertz and Chilwell or Reese James? I, guess I would say we're sitting here now three weeks before the start of the season and yes, I couldn't give you names. I think seven game weeks in... I could probably give you three Holland. players. Well, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, that's enough data. We'll have enough data, six game weeks gone, where we would go, right, I've seen enough of what Tuchel's doing and I know who the protagonists are. I've got enough information to get on top of Chelsea's attack. Maybe not with or two, the opposite. but certainly one. 
all the opposite and it's mass rotation and no one yeah. looks like a short starter yeah. and we don't go for any of them. Yeah, yeah, sure. But all I'm saying yeah. is now I look at this and go, I'm probably going to have to do something to get on Chelsea. But it's not only Chelsea. Look at the run City have got game week eight to ten. They've got a strong run there as well where you want at least one City attacker. And again, if you don't start the season with that, are you going to, what, book in a transfer and go, well, I'm going to move to De Bruyne? Or you could do, you could move Bruno out. The problem is when you when you start with players like Bruno, and even though United have got a difficult run from 7 to 11, as this shows, you're still reluctant, aren't you, to go, right, I'm going to sell Bruno. It's the upside chasing, right? It's what, what uh, Leiriser does. He's, he's used to it. He's used to taking those risks, but... As FBL managers, getting rid of Bruno for De Bruyne is something, you know, you didn't get on De Bruyne last season. You went with Mahrez and that, and that hurt you. And I think sometimes when you've got a heavy hitter with a reputation like Bruno, if you start the season with him and he does okay, getting rid of him for De Bruyne or Sterling when City got good fixtures, well, exactly. it's not straightforward, is it? No, it's not. And, that, and that's why I think we were, we were kind of anti, you know... Um... Uh, on you know about this whole wild card in the possession of strength thing mm. because often you get burned when you take out a player in form and this isn't like pre-season form or regular form by seven weeks we're going to know who is playing well and if we have to suddenly rip those players up to bring in and, and play some rotation hit teams Chelsea and City the two biggest teams for rotation in the league if I'm suddenly having to take out my my nailed on performing players for those comes as a huge gamble and it could be something that we look at at game week 10 and go why the hell did I do that yeah but I think I, I want to be brave with the wild card this season um, I'd rather I, I would like to think I get the chance to play it to seize an opportunity rather than repair something that's broken yeah um, prices as well knows? though taking out players who you've built value in and bringing in players who you know if they don't perform might go down in price yeah. there's a hell of a lot of risks that, that do come with it yeah absolutely I'm going to hold you to this now Can hold yeah you I mean I, I'm, big... I'm going to use this going forward I'm, I'm going to do I don't know whether you did this last season as I do I do like an Excel sheet and plot what oh team. interesting yeah, should do yeah. that really I should think about we're carrying that, that on we're carrying uh, on yeah, that joke why, <laughs> why not um, yeah else. I mean I think I think this is going to prove the basis for that right it's very you know we're still weeks away but I, like I said the, I don't think the fixture difficulties or our impression of them are going to change that much so this this sheet will still be relevant to me mm. at kickoff. Um and yeah I mean We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I do think that mid-season, between 7 and 10, there is a clear swing of difficulty for fixtures for key teams that on the face of it, we could exploit with the wild card. But who knows what's going to come up before yeah. then and how we're going to fare. It might be that our teams are in tragic state and we've got to roll it out between well, yeah. 3 and 4. Right? That's exactly it, right? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm worried about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're not going to set up like that. But I mean, like with that in mind, I started looking at the... Um, Double figures allowed as well, right? This is another ticker, of course, um, that we introduced last season. A bit of a favourite, wasn't it, Vaz? And this, this is this never is, got a name, did it? It didn't really. And double figures allowed doesn't really doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? But I, I wanted to look at this, and I, I I couldn't do nineteen game weeks, so I thought, okay, with the idea that I'm going to play the wild card between seven and eight, let's have a look at game weeks up to game week seven and see how the teams fare. And so for those who don't know, what this does, uh, what I've got data on, is I look back at the previous set of matches or the previous season now, and I look at the teams that allowed double figures or conceded double figures to their opponents. And so what you're seeing on the table is Man City at home, two. They allowed two double figures um, in home matches, right? But away, they allowed six, Um 
I've actually got that wrong with Alice. That if you play Man City at home, you they allowed two yep. double figures. If you played Man City away, they allowed six. So actually, they conceded more double figures at the Etihad than they did on their travels. That was mainly Leicester. Right? That was that yep. freakish result. So that's how it works. And, and obviously, we don't have data for the promoted teams because you can't really judge you know, double figures. Allowed. We could look at the Gaffer data and we'll look at Gaffer data in a later show, but I didn't want to do that for this. So I, I averaged them out. I took Leeds, West Brom and Sheffield United, the three promoted teams from last season, averaged out their values for double figures allowed when you play them at home and double figures allowed when you play them away. And it's 16 and 14. And I use those numbers to um, generate a ticker for those teams. So if we look at the double figure ticker for the first seven game weeks, right? My the team top of Burnley. Analysis you do. It's just... So Burnley... I mean, obviously what we're seeing is the green, the green cells are those games against teams that allowed the most double figures last season um, in that respective feature, home and away. Burnley appear to have the best opportunity for double figure returns over the first seven game weeks. Then it's Everton, then it's West Ham, Wolves mm. and Liverpool are in there again. Um, Tottenham right at the bottom. You know, they're only playing two teams who allow, or they only have two fixtures which allowed double-figure returns last season. And their fixtures look good. If you look at your spreadsheet and if you look at the you know the, the fixture tickers, Spurs mm. actually look like a team to maybe jump on. But yeah. actually, it's only really that game week three game, which... Yeah, who have they got three and four? Let's just look at the scout ticker. So three and four, they've got, yeah, Watford and Palace. Yeah. Yeah, so it, make, it makes sense. They are two good fixtures for them. But outside of that, they play teams yeah. or they have fixtures, which last season did not allow many double-figure returns at all. So Kane, for example, if he stays at Spurs, are you really going to pay that much? Yeah, but I mean, this is so unscientific. It's a bit of fun, really. It's not It's not data that I would base my team no, on, but I just wanted to do it to keep it core running. core black box spreadsheet now. It's fact. <laughs> well, is that going to convince you to go Chris Wood then, is it? Hey, hey? Yep. Of course it's not. And Brownhill. Well, Brownhill's and... interesting. Two goals pre-season. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think... Dwight what... McNeil. I think what this shows again is though, like Everton are near the top, Liverpool are near the top, Newcastle are near the top. It's kind of reinforcing my confidence in some of the teams that I'm looking at. I'm looking at Wilson for Newcastle. I'm looking at Cavett Lewin and maybe Dina for Everton. And I'm obviously looking at at least two Liverpool players. So there wasn't anything here that changed my mind on those teams. And it didn't change my mind on I'm not I'm probably not going to go Son or Kane, right? Um, because I don't think they've got the best start. And obviously with the Kane uncertainty there's upheaval. Even if he stays, I think the whole circus of his future is going to mm. affect them early on, right? There's a chance it will. Leicester, another team down there. Arsenal, you know, they're a team that I think will ha- have a good spell. Maybe they don't start the season too strongly, but I think they come good. The problem with Arsenal, as we've said before, is knowing their lineup. I think defensively, we know Ben White and Tierney are options, but in attack, they're probably not a team that we can bank on other than Smith Rowe, who is so cheap, yeah. you can probably have him bench, right? Um, so, yeah, I think this is a, a useful exercise. And, well, yeah, what you make of that and Burnley is, well, I think Brownhill is your 4.5 midfielder, you know, right? Do you know my biggest fear here? What? Chelsea game week one. Palace with 20 yeah. Yeah. double-digit conceded and they're significantly worse and they've got a completely unproven manager Yeah, in his first game. Yeah. What a time for Chelsea, the Champions League winners, to be playing Palace. That could be 6-0. Yeah, and, and, uh, and 
in my mind, there's always a game in the first game week where a team is found out straight away. Like a team that hasn't prepared correctly or a team that's had upheaval or a team that's had behind the scenes problems, they get immediately put to the sword. And you go, oh yeah, I should have thought of that. Why didn't I get on that? And I do look at Palace at Chelsea and go, if there's going to be a route in the first week, he's staring us in the face there, right? Chilwell is is so tempting because if he's at wing back, he he could easily hit double digits in that first week. Mm. And Reese James did last year, remember? Mm. Against Brighton. I had him, didn't I? Remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You loved it when me, that goal went in. Let me bloody forget, do you? <laughs> so we have to look at that. I'm mean, looking at that alongside the team. And this is the scout ticker again for the first seven. Uh, Watford, Wolves, Brighton at the top. There's your fodder. I mean, like if I'm if I'm getting filler, if I'm getting cheap players, those are the teams I'm going to yep. look at. Everton, interesting, Eight but Maury's obviously... popular. Yeah, El uh, is Saar Lamptey. is popular. Yeah. And, and Sanchez, we talked about Dunk as Back well. Um, what do you make of Everton though? We haven't talked about them much. Benitez, right? Going in, the narrative mm. is more defensive. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I won't go into too much, but the Sigerson rumours obviously not mm. helping pre-season preparations. Nope. Rodriguez looks like he's leaving. Could spell good news for Dean because obviously more set pieces for him. Um, although not fully fit. Yeah, hasn't, I don't think he's played yet or, or trained or anything, but he's mm. nearing nearing a return. I think Everton are going to be similar to what most of Benitez's teams are, solid and unspectacular. But I think 5-5 for Dean is a bargain. Yeah. I'm really surprised they gave him a prize drop. Yeah. I thought six was... Yeah, and I think if Hammers does leave, then the set pieces become... There is, right? If Sigerson's not available, then Hammers leaves. The thing is, Benitez is is under pressure, similar similar to how... Vieira is going to be, but obviously Everton have got much better fixtures. But Everton needs to. I mean, Southampton at home is the, you know they should win that. If they mm. don't win that, then they're going to have a lot of pressure going into Leeds and Brighton, who are good yeah. sides. Well, Leeds playing Brighton, both of those games away. Leeds, Brighton, Burnley aren't easy games, right? No, so I, I, you know they are. It's a good run to start with, but if Everton start slowly, they haven't got fixtures that's going to go help them go through the gears. I think they're going to be different. They need to go into well, exactly. fixtures in form to win, yeah. to get results, right? I, I, I don't think Everton are just going to come into this no. and blow away like the first three or four games. Like, I mean, you know, the, people, people start with Calvert-Lewin and Dean. Yeah. I think it's it's quite a risk. I think even even though they are blue, they're still not, they're not amazing to me. I've gone off Calvert-Lewin a lot. I mean, one yeah. thing that makes me feel more positive about Calvert-Lewin, I'm seeing rumours of Benitez targeting wingers. You know, you know, let's talk about Neil at Burnley, for example. He's, he's Demari Demar- Demar- right? Gray, I think, is yeah. close to signing. So well. he's clearly gone, right, I've got myself a, a penalty box centre forward. I need to get him service. That tells me two things. One, I, should, I shouldn't I should write off Calvert-Lewin as an option. I should definitely consider it. Uh, it also makes me think, well, does Benitez not see Coleman and Dina as the source of crosses? Does he need to get McNeil and Townsend in to provide crosses? Which makes me think that Dina and Coleman aren't yeah. going to be as further forward as we think. But he hasn't, he right? hasn't historically had, no. had really marauding attacking no. fullbacks, has he? That's not really been a part. Like the, the defence for Benitez has always yeah. been not, not static, but solid. Yeah. And then the attack comes from, comes from the flanks. So, I mean, Townsend is surely just in to be a kind of rotation option, but you know, with Richard, I mean, Richarlison's at the Olympics as well, but if Gray comes in, yeah, Gra- Gra- I mean, Gray isn't like an accomplished like crosser of the ball. No, is but he? I, th- he I think he's and... a good signing. I think he's a bit of a jack in the box, right? He can do things. He can, he can, he can have a, a thing that turns a game with a flash of pace. And I think he's got he's a flair player, right? Townsend's mm. a steady player. 
McNeil will be. I mean, McNeil's signed for one reason only to provide ammunition for Calvert Lewin. He's not. He's not. A, I wouldn't say he's a flair player. I think he's a consistent player whose distribution and crossing is he's renowned. I really for, rate right? him. Yeah, yeah. But you need a centre forward if you've got McNeil in your team, right? Yeah, and that's why Wood does okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what's that? And Freese linked as well. Pot Noodle mentions. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now that suggests that he does. He is going to encourage his fullbacks to get forward because Dumfries definitely is that, right? But I don't know. I'm I'm worried. It makes me worried that you know, for me, if they get Dumfries and, and they've got Dean on the other side, they've got fullbacks or wingbacks yeah. that provide crosses. So why do you need McNeil? McNeil playing out wide is going to be cover in the same space as the fullback. That doesn't hmm. suggest marauding fullbacks to me. So, I don't know. But you don't, you don't sign Dumfries unless no. you want to attack down no. down the right. But I mean, we, we see it with, with lots of teams where they, they focus play down one side and then maybe do that. I mean, Leicester, Leicester do it, for example. Castagna's hmm. terrible when he plays on the left and much more effective when he plays on the right. And that seems to be a tactic. So, it might be that Dumfries signs. Actually, that again limits Dean's appeal because maybe Dean is tasked with more defensive duties and they attack yep. down the right. Take it in turns, yeah. More. If Dumfries signs, I think I'd go for him over Dean. Right. It'd be five million as well, probably, wouldn't he? I don't think they'd go five five. God, if they made him five, he would be he would be really tasty. I love well, again, I mean, the Euro it, Dumfries was the one good thing I did in the in the Euros game. These are the subtleties they need though. If they put him in at five, it makes you think. It makes you if they make him five five, you'll go Dino because he's proven, right? Yeah. I think. Um Yeah, but that's might they haven't exactly been giving as many yeah, options, have they? No. Um Chelsea are bottom of the ticker over the first seven. Um, but it's that Palace fixture. And and when we talk about home advantage and if that's going to be stronger, they've got Palace, Villa, Southampton in the first seven. They're good home games, right? And that's that's one thing we've got to consider is who are the teams with the best home games and, and sorting the ticker by home matches could be something that's advantageous. And we'll look at that. We'll look at fixtures again going into the first game week, of course. And I'm sure our impression of of what players we're going to get in on the basis of those fixtures will change. Should we look at some teams? Should we look at your team? Go on then. Do you want to look at yours first? My team reveal. Yeah, no, it's a first. draft. It's not a team <laughs> reveal. Right. Henderson's in there then for you, is he? Yeah. I thought I, I thought I'd put Henderson in. I mean, I, I still feel a little bit uneasy about a Brighton double up at the back. Um, or, you know, I'm seeing some people with, with free Brighton, you know, Welbeck in there and Duncan and stuff. Um, Lamptey is just someone that I really want to own again. I think he's he's you like he's him, don't you? back in training. Yeah, I got you know. I don't know if you know. You mentioned him a few times. Mentioned last him a few season. times. Uh, he's another player, lively Lamptey. He's something that I think could could be good. I don't know what he's going to be like covers of injury, but um, you know, I, I, I do like him. Uh, Henderson at five though. If he if he's confirmed as, as United's number one, which he, which I think he has been recently, then then I think he's he's probably worth the point five over Sanchez. If you've got another Brighton defender, I think if you're looking for a set and forget goalkeeper and you know want to vary your defence a bit more I think Sanchez is still the one but I like Henderson uh, they've got Trent Dean Lamptey very boring Salah very boring I've got Son in there I was inspired by you last night Son is a Sancho uh, kind of temporary make weight because yeah. yeah I mean if if Sancho comes in at 10 or 10-5 like we think he's probably going to do please be 10 God, I, I think 10-5 I think you think 10 10-5 I think 10 how, how mm. will they say, if they make him 10-5, they're saying he's a better player next season than Son. I know. And I don't know if you can say that off the back of, I know he's done brilliantly in the Bundesliga, but so did Werner, right? So I just think they'll, they'll, just they'll, a 200 point season. I just think you've got, you've got Rashford 9-5, Bruno 12. Let's put, let's put Sancho slap bang in the middle. If you make him 10, it really does put the cat amongst the pigeons. 10-5, it's like, mm, I'll stick with Bruno. I think. Yeah. Well, I'm, ho- I'm hoping 10, because then I could go with something similar to this. 
but yeah, I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? I mean, Sancho, if Sancho does come in at 10, uh, do you go from over Fernandez? And we talked about, uh, you know, on, on the on the Planet FBL pod with, you know, this this going for unproven players. Does Sancho mm. fit into the same realms as Werner? Look great in the Bundesliga, great stats. Yeah. Does he come into the Premier League and just smash it? I think I think he does. <laughs> yeah, but you're falling into that trap, aren't you? I have, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I feel the same. I don't know why I feel that. I don't know why... Why would Sancho settle and do the business when Werner couldn't? Yeah, I mean, the thing with Werner was we never really knew what his position was. Like he was, he was often very much out on the left, but being played up front. Is he is he actually a central striker or is no, he a left I winger? Don't we him. don't really know. Sancho is a right winger, and that is yeah. exactly what United need. It's like it's like a puzzle, and he's like the missing piece that United. Him. And I think Varane is as well. I yeah. think if they get those two players, they could have a they could have a re- they could challenge. I think. Yeah, I, I, and I think United are set up to to play to Sancho's strengths, whereas Chelsea were almost like, we've got to find a place to put Werner. We don't know where to put him. Well, exactly. And then that was the problem. And I don't. And that's why it makes me think that Sancho's got more chance of yeah. repeating some of his Bundesliga form immediately in the Premier League. But he so, needs to be 10 to do that. Yeah. Uh, getting a lot of, got, getting a lot of slating in the, in the chat for Madison. People clearly yeah, don't know. I don't see it either. Well, there's there's rumours with him going to Arsenal. Obviously, that kills him. Well, that kills two of my players if he goes yeah, to Arsenal. That kills yeah. him and, and Smith Rowe. But I don't really understand why Madison would, would be a bad picker at seven million. He showed signs before his injury that he was getting into more advanced positions. He's on corners. He's on free kicks. He's playing for a Leicester team who historically start the season really well. Uh, there's question marks around Iheanacho and Barnes, where they're going to play together. Vardy's getting on a bit. Who, you know, attacking-wise, I think he's, he's still the go-to option in, in the Leicester attack so you said if he there, stays right? at Leicester he's, he's in my team locked Harvey Barnes why aren't I seeing Harvey Barnes in lineups because like, I, I you know is he fully fit for the start of the season if he is if I think he's fully fit for the season I'm going to look at Harvey Barnes over Madison all day I mean the numbers mm. he was producing and yeah, you've got to think like Madison is he at his peak probably near Harvey Barnes is he at his peak no I think he's got more in him well, the two question marks with Barnes are, what's he going to be like of his injury? Really nasty injury. Yeah, always yeah. a risk to get a player in after that. Mm. And two, the system tweaked with Iheanacho coming mm. in basically for Barnes. So what happens when Barnes wants to come back in? Does he drop Iheanacho? I don't see how he can drop Iheanacho after no. what he did towards the end of the last season. So how, where, does, does, where does Barnes fit? I don't no. really know what the system's yeah. going to be. So, yeah. I agree with you. I think... People do not like this team. It's no. You try and present something a little bit different and talk about it and you get ripped to shreds. Maybe this is I, why I, I could bring up template exists. I could bring up the exact team and they go, oh, that's good. I really like Mark's team. <laughs> no. oh, I should have done that. done so well. The <laughs> but the thing is with Leicester, I think they're a wait and see. I don't, I don't think there's nothing in their early fixtures that, that suggests if I don't get on them early, I'm going to miss out. But it gives me the opportunity to see what Rodgers is doing. And like you say, I mean, it, it, there's question marks over... We shouldn't be questioning Ian Acho. Surely he starts and he's going to be a factor again. But I think there's doubts about, you know, what is Rogers going to do with the system? So yeah. I wouldn't go near Madison. No. Watkins uh, and, then, and Wilson. Watkins got a couple of goals tonight. I, I disagree about Madison. I think Madison is class. And okay, he will eventually like show his, his class. In I think you're blinkered, though. I think you like the player and you're, you're yeah, over- I saw, inflating I, his I, FBL I would, I would I would agree with you until I saw that thing with him where he said he's working on getting yeah, more goals. And, and then yeah. he was. He was in the box. Yeah, more. He was yeah. having more shots. He was doing all the things I, I wanted to see. This so time last do. year, I was knocking Pereira. And look what happened. <laughs> all right, you didn't oh. stick with him and you lost oh, all those points. But imagine you know. if I just stuck with him all season. It would have been great. Uh, 
<laughs> Jerry Manilow, nice team as I'd probably only change 13 players. Cheers, mate. Um, right up front, yeah, Watkins. Watkins is is as good as it gets, I think. Great fixtures, uh, you know, amazing season last but Villa year. Villa double up. Villa double up. I think I think with the fixtures they've got, the offensive double up is is on. I mean, Grealish, what happens if Grealish moves? What if he goes to City? That changes everything again. Suddenly players like Torres and Gundogan and Foden and stuff become much bigger risks as well. But it also means they're a better team. So how do mm. we kind of react to that? Uh, the thing with Watkins though is I still think a, a, where, where Abraham ends up is going to be key. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's I think it's going to be between Arsenal being linked, West Ham and Villa. Yeah. I think Brighton, I think that's just wishful thinking now. Uh, but if he does go to Villa, then I think that that eliminates Watkins. Yeah. I think Watkins is going to have to go on the left. Yeah. Um, and Wilson, I mean, Wilson is someone I'm getting a lot of stick for uh, and probably fair enough because he's a Newcastle player, but he is everything. Like, he's everything to Newcastle. Talisman. Right? Absolute talisman. And I think you said it well earlier. Newcastle showed signs last season of, of, of getting the ball up more and, and St. Maximum there is, is the difference maker because if he's fit to start the season... His link-up play with Wilson is, is fantastic. Newcastle's fixes are pretty good. And I just like that forward who is just that complete talisman for the side. Yeah, so, I think, I, think they, I mean, Willock, take Willock out and obviously the end of the season doesn't look so good for Newcastle. So they need someone like that or Willock back, right? But I do think Bruce is going to have a job regressing back to the dull... Mm. Remember that Sheffield United away game when he played like seven oh centre-backs or something ridiculous? They lost... Yeah, and they lost. And I remember because <laughs> I had um, McGoldrick in the game and I was like, well, man, I thought, you know, I knew there'd be a Newcastle would turn up and be negative. He can't go back to that. After what, how they ended the season, he's shown he's got players who can, who can get goals and, and give those supporters yeah. who are back in the stadium something to cheer for. He's got to do that. He's got to keep that up, hasn't he? I think so. And, right. and you know, you're talking about picking players with proven pedigree in the Premier League. Mm. Wilson is that. Yeah. Wilson is that I striker. I think great. Penalty taker. He just gets goals. Yeah. Like, I know he plays for Newcastle, but he scores. Like, I mean, we're going to look got... at players more specifically, but I think in terms of involvement for his team, Wilson's like 50, 60% own, uh, involvement. Mm. You, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's we've got to factor that in. And Newcastle's start to the season is fairly strong. They've got a sustained run of really good, not really good fixtures, fairly good fixtures where you can throw 7-5 at Wilson and, and bank on some returns, I yeah. think. I like and, yeah. and the and and the player that a lot of people are, are, have got, and he's the biggest template player I think I've ever seen, and I think has the biggest potential to flop early doors is Tony, Ivan right. Tony, playing for a newly promoted side. I know he's the talisman of, of Brentford. They've got a difficult first mm. game mm. against Arsenal. Like, what what are people hoping the best case scenario for him for playing against Arsenal is? What he'll get a goal? He's not going to get a brace or a hat trick, surely. And if he does, going for someone like Wilson means the downgrade is on rather yeah. than having to find a way to go up to, to someone else. Yeah. So I feel much more comfortable starting with two seven fives where there's a lot more choice than starting with someone like Tony at 6-5 because you've only really got Pookie to go down to. Yeah, it depends on your formation though, doesn't it? You're going with the three five two, 5 mm. which I might end up doing as well. I tend to favour that and go with a cheap striker. You've gone Obafemi over Davis. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, fair enough. Um, and yeah, oh, if, if, Ing, if Ings move on, moves on, and Obafemi will get more chances. Um, yeah, so if you're going two up front, it makes sense to overlook Tony. I think I would yeah. be doing the same, but I've currently got the three up front. So, Cancelo, by the way, 
Well, I had some money left. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking... <laughs> as simple as that, is it? Oh, just yeah, I had some money left. Well, I'm thinking, you know, to, just to target that Norwich game, really. Getting in a player yeah. for that Norwich game, not really being too sure who's going to start offensively and thinking Cancelo can do the job of an offensive and a defensive player. I could I could lose, lose him for Chilwell, actually, and, and, and swap Lamptey out for him, just because I think I really do want to get a Chelsea player in for that first, that first mm. game. Um, and then I've got Sufa. Well. I mean, my biggest mistake last year was I had no bench. And it meant I had to take hits in the first couple of weeks just to sort out problems I had with my side. And if mm. I'm going with Oberfemi or Davis, I need to make sure my other two players are half decent. Yeah, and I said this on the Planet FBL um, pod today. I like to have a bench in the first part of the season because it enables you to take the risk on Absolutely. early transfers. If Absolutely. you've only got 11 players and you've got a really cheap bench, when the bandwagon start rolling and Sunday night you want to go, oh, I need to get on this player, he's going up tonight. You can't do it because you're thinking, well, I can't do that because what if there's an injury and team news comes in Thursday, Friday, and then I've got 10 players or 10 decent yeah. players. Right? I don't want to have to start Brownhill. But if you've got someone like Kufala's first sub, now I had Suchek first sub a lot, then you can go, right, I'm going to make the transfer Sunday night because worst comes to worst, if someone gets a training yeah. ground injury, I've got Suchek. Whereas yeah. if that first sub is, all, is, like, is a two-pointer you're going to be less inclined to give yourself the freedom to go in early on the transfers. And going in early on transfers, I still think is not just a valid tactic. I think it's a really, yeah, almost not crucial, but an important I, I tactic. Think, I think it is right? too. And I think it's why, you know, I, there's lots of good 4.5 options, but a lot of them aren't necessary players who you're going to want to have and, and not worry about. Like guys like Eiling, Fafana's in yeah, those, yeah, eight yeah. Nori. They've all got risks. They all could just not deliver points. And then you might have to take them out. Whereas at least if you've got like Su Fao at five, okay, he's a bit mm. more of an expensive budget option, but he's going to deliver. I know yeah. I know that Su Fao and West Ham are going to be a good pick. Well, so, Su Fao's got attacking returns in him, right? So it doesn't matter on the position, right? So he's a nice player to have on the bench. Smith Rowe equally, I think, is a really good... It's a bit more yeah. than you'd want to pay, maybe. You you know, it depends how much you need to pump into the 11 and what you lose by doing that. But I like the idea of having a a good, effective yep. first sub. Um, I'm See, not going to talk... It's something a bit different to get people talking and yeah. it does. Yeah. So I'm not going to talk much about this because, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's early days, right? It's it's not... <laughs> this is not going to be my team on... I'll say this and then we'll see, but this is not going to maybe even resemble my team on day one. I've got the Brighton double up because I like Brighton's fixtures. you got and, Wilson as well. There yeah, we I like Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, but I've got Tony in there. I'm playing, I'm playing the 3-4-3, but Rafina's on the bench as a decent or more than a decent option mm. to come in, right? So I've gone cheaper in midfield, but I've gone Saar, Smith, Rowe, Rafina. Um, I like Saar. Watford have got a decent start. And I think I think the thing about the promoted teams is, yes, they're a risk, but Saar's been up before. He's played at this level before and he's done well, right? He's done out. He, he ended the season strongly. And I think there's no doubt he's a regular start for them. He's going to be a key threat. They've got good fixtures. And I think also the promoted teams start well normally and then start to, mm. they get injuries or suspensions and then the quality difference starts to show around six, seven games in, right? That's what happened to Norwich, if you're a member. So there's a, I think Sars a good punt early on. Um, so yeah, Trent and Shaw are in there. If Shaw's injured, I'll probably go Dina maybe. Um, but I, I really do want Shaw because of his potential going forward as well. Mm. Any comments? Uh, sort of weirdly similar to mine, which is uh, a bit strange. Uh, yeah, I mean Brighton. Yeah, I mean Brighton defensive double. So two defensive double ups there. Oh no, no, sorry, no, you've got Shaw, not not uh, mm. not Robertson. Um, I mean De Bruyne's a risk, I guess, because we're not sure how fit yeah. he's going to be. But obviously, we'll get, 
we'll get news about that as well. I mean, to me, like I'm seeing a lot of a lot of te- a lot of template teams the same, and it's just that oh, see, yeah. seeing people's reactions to these teams just shows why so few people want to go against the Twitter template. That doesn't mean the Twitter template is bad or wrong, but the Twitter template isn't going to be overall rank one. No. So, you know, telling saying to people they've got bad teams or that you know. If, Got, this isn't like neither of our teams are bad teams. They're just different players, are probably ones that you're considering. So, yeah, I, I reckon there's probably four players here that I'll have at the start, maybe five. Yeah. I mean, Salah and Trent <laughs> aren't going anywhere. I think I will have Dunk. I like Dunk. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Ben White departing and that will affect them, but I just think the way Potter sets his team out, if Basuma stays, I'll go Dunk. Um, and I like Smith Rowe, but the rest is all in rotation, I think. So, how sure are you that you would go without Fernandez if Sanchez? No, I'm not 10? sure at all. But I like, I like, you know, if De Bruyne's fit, having him for the Norwich game and having a City option to captain over Salah at home to Burnley is something I quite like because mm. I, I'm all about spotting those options, those opportunities with the captaincy to go right. Okay, I know 60% are going to be on Salah. Well, I've got Salah, but I'm going to go on De Bruyne because I know the. Yeah, the effective ownership. Do you remember that phrase? You like that one, don't you? That's my favourite. Is yeah. low, right, on, on a city captain. So mm. it's an early opportunity to roll that dice. I probably won't do it because it's probably too early, but I'm kind of flirting with it here. I probably won't follow it through and it'll be Bruno or Sancho. Or Sancho. Yeah. 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 Right. That's it. We've nearly done two hours. I thought we weren't going to do anywhere near that, right? But <laughs> we're we lucky we're making an hour, I think you said. We, we right. can't help ourselves, can we? We just <laughs> get into a, a groove and... Just keep going. Um, I hope we haven't bored anyone. It's the first one. I mean, we can't commit to anything, so it's it's a bit it's a bit fuzzy at the moment. Uh, I, hopefully, some of the data we showed is an interesting topic to discuss further. We're going to do more of that ticker analysis when yep. we look at stats, though. Definitely, because there's something there. I think a um, few things to mention. Uh, great in the good league. You want to talk about yes. that briefly? Yep. So great in the good. Well, Greyhead is is doing that. Uh, there'll be proper articles on Scale for that. Uh, I've, I've, he's expanded the league, which means I've stayed in. I don't know how that happened. I mean, I, I, I made several calls. I don't, you know, he didn't think I didn't, he didn't return any of them. And then he were in there, no matter yeah, what. I, I gave him a lot of money. So that kind of countered yeah. uh, the calls. Yeah. Fair uh, so to give a rundown of who's in it, it's you and me, it's Fabio. It's let's talk Andy. He's made it. So oh, Slippers, is, Slippers in. is in. Slippers is in. Uh, FPL general, Villa Ronca, the mysterious, the real myth. Not, not you. Not me, no. Villa Ronk is the real myth. Uh, Magnus, Matthew Jones, uh, Jeffrey Dance, Zofar, Tom Stevenson, who's Hall of Fame number two. Oh, currently. he deserves to be in. What season is he? I mean, I Hall of Fame number two, right? Unbelievable. Yep. Uh, Neil Rigg, Tom Freeman, Joe, John T, and Les Caldwell, who won the yeah. Mini League. Brilliant. Last year. Love that. Love the fact that, that Greyhead promotes the winner of that. Yeah, really um, cool. So I'm Late looking forward riser, to it. Yeah, Late Riser has chosen not to be in for anyone who's... So he's made way for Zofar, right? So he's he's kindly passed the baton to Zofar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just to mention as well, uh, Greyhead's community tournament. So if you head over to Scout... Oh, yeah. And you, at, ...and you look at community articles, there is a Fantasy Scout community tournament. These, honestly, they are one of my favourite things. Because you Scout can buy does. FBL managers, right? And you can have them... Yeah. yeah. So it's different. So it's always different every... There wasn't one last year, but it's always different. There was like a... Um, there, was a there was a draft one. There was a... Uh, you know, you're a manager and you, and you recruit players. And, and this one is 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 similar to that. So at the moment, they're taking applications for people who want to manage a team. 
And then there's like a kind of auction where you can like buy other managers and they can join your team. Yeah. Uh, some of those managers are the ones I've just mentioned, the great and the good. So you and I are going to be bought by someone for a few, for a few quid. Not real, not real quid, no, just fake quid. No. You know um, what I'm like with the, you know, I'll do anything. Yeah. So if you're, if you're interested in, in managing a group of people, and I've done it before and loved it, uh, you just basically need to set up a Google spreadsheet, uh, have a, get a Slack channel or a WhatsApp channel, and then uh, invite your team in. And then you just send a team sheet to Greyhead yeah. or whoever's managing it um, every time. Uh, and it's, it's, it's great. So if you're interested in being a manager, head of to Scout and look at that. Um, if you're interested in just being someone in the pool of people who people can buy and recruit, uh, then just look out for an article that will be coming uh, in a few weeks mm. uh, on that. And finally, just to mention, because these guys, they do so much work on these tournaments, Boris Bodega, Total Run 52, FPL Kaka, FPL Verbino. There's so much work that goes into these tournaments and they nail it every time. And I cannot stress enough how fun they are. So go and do yeah, it. Yeah, I remember those early tournaments when I was on Scout and it's amazing. And, and that's what the community is all about, right? This, these guys don't do it for anything but the love of it, right? And Mozambique yeah. was my was my favorite year. That's when we all right. had um it was like a World Cup. That's and, right. I remember and, uh, that. Yeah, Mozambique. Yeah. I was the I think I was the man I was the manager, I think, of that. And oh, we got yeah. to the quarterfinals, I think. Did quite well. Yeah. Quite fun. Well, it's brilliant what they do, and so do support it. Um Black Box League, we've got the code at the bottom there. VJNG thirty eight. Yep. Sign up. We want to try and get in the top five this year, right? We want to get into the top five this year. Yeah. And there will be Prizes this Incentives year. Incentives to join Incentives. our league. Wow. Trophies and rewards and wooden spoons yeah. for losers. Okay, nice. No no Deliveroo meals for me. That's No. I can't totally. afford that. And The Apprentice. Not until the Super Chats start up again. Yeah, we'll do those <laughs> soon, but not yet. The Apprentice. Yes. We're doing it. We're Next doing week. it. Yes, we've got our apprentices locked in. I think you're going to really like them. Uh, we've got going to have two video. No, yeah. Two, no, four videos next week, hopefully, uh, introducing them and then talking about it. So the idea is, do you want to explain what the idea is, Mark? Or, or uh, oh Yeah, if you don't know what we're doing, we're taking two um, FBL managers who never played the game before. Um, and we recruited people who purposely don't know anything about the game. They might know a bit about football, they might not. And the idea is that we're going to subject them to various tools and, and expose them to various bits of the community. So we might show one of them the fixture ticker. We might show one of them Twitter and get them to join Twitter. And we're going to study how it affects their decision-making. And we're going to talk to them about it as well. Well, I'd, I'd say it's even better than that because yeah. we've actually got a proper experiment going on. Yeah, go on. Because one apprentice is not going to be introduced to stats at all. No. There's someone who likes football already, but has never played FPL. So it's going to be eye test, gut feel, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the other apprentice doesn't really know too much about football. And she's going to get on Twitter. She's going to be looking at, uh, you know, listening to podcasts, she's going to be looking at stats tables and fixture leagues. Who's going to do better? Yeah. And will both of them beat us? Probably. Yeah, exactly. So, so it is the is the apprentice without any kind of exposure to any of the tools, the preseason tools, any of the data, nothing from Twitter. Is are they going to do better than the FPL manager who gets all of that preseason? We'll see. Won't we, we could single handedly you you built Scout, and now you could single handedly bring it down. If I didn't the, think uh, of that. I test. Yeah, I I'll be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, maybe that was my intention. No, of course not. No, it's going to be good. And so we're going to start recording those videos next week and we'll be putting them out, not live, but as recordings. Nope. Um, and then we'll be back with a live black box in a couple of weeks, I guess, when yep. by then we can start picking proper teams. And you can say it's a team reveal, but it's a draft now. It's a draft. Right? Team reveal. Draft. <laughs> it's a good night for me. Good night, everyone. 
Social Podcast Network.